You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Everybody, good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside James Montefusco. James, welcome. This is our first official, official Wednesday show. We'll put it. I know there was one last week hosted by Hank and Johnny Montalbano. Mm-hmm. Shout out to those guys filling in. They did a fantastic job. But now you can exclusively catch Review and Preview on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. This will be our new time going forward. And Kyle Russo will be joining us in just a few moments, having some Wi-Fi snafus out east there. So uh, we await his presence. But James, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I'm looking forward to this amazing game and this great halftime performance we have this Sunday. Well, we got Snoop Dogg. We got uh, Eminem. We got Dr. Dre, I think. We had a lot of good people performing at halftime of Super Bowl 50. Six. I can't believe we're up to number 56 already. It has been a long time coming. And, you know, one team we thought possibly had a shot to get here this year, one team probably not. One team that won four games last year in the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals. And got to give credit where credit is due. The Cincinnati Bengals have unpredictably made it to the Super Bowl behind the reins of second-year star quarterback in Joe Burrow, who has been absolutely fantastic in his sophomore campaign. Oh, no, he has. He stepped up big time. And from that, he got injured last season, I believe, right? If I'm, yeah, from that injury to now bring his team all the way to the Super Bowl and possibly win this Sunday is just amazing to see. Um, He seems like a great guy on the field and also off the field as well. He's going to be somebody we're going to be watching for many years to come. Absolutely. And the game will be played at SoFi Stadium on Sunday around 6.30 p.m. Lowest seeded matchup in Super Bowl history. Both teams are four seeds and both teams performed or played all the way back on Wild Card Weekend. So that's a little fun fact about them. The Rams come into this game currently slated as four and a half point favorites. This is the second year in a row. The Super Bowl will be played in a team's home stadium. We all know what happened last year Mm -hmm. with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Tom Brady announces his retirement about a week and a half ago. What a shell shocker that was to a lot of people, not just around the NFL world, but the sporting world in itself. Tom Brady, James, I know you're happy he's retired. (laughs) I'm not. I wanted him to go one more year. And, retire, and announce his retirement, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. But, man, that guy had one hell of a career. I know we already talked about him in some YouTube videos. He was discussed on last week's show. But, you know, we're talking about the Rams and the Bengals tonight here 
in the Super Bowl. Folks, if you have any comments for Jane, hey, <laughs> hey look fellas. who showed up. Kyle Fashionably Russo. Late. Fashionably yeah. Got to love it. Love Kyle Russo. Uh, first off, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Thank we you. are now live on Wednesdays at 7. This is a new day and a new time for us. We're off to an outstanding start. That's what it was, guys. <laughs> I guess I forgot the time. I thought we were still on Tuesdays. That's what it had to have been. Um, speaking of which, our, our communication, uh, I, I don't know if I told you guys, we're going to be having Sean Militello on the show tonight around 7.30, uh, 7.40 p.m. to talk about the Saints' new hire and promoting Defensive coordinator Dennis Allen as their head coach, the Alvin Kamara situation briefly, and the New Orleans Pelicans. He's a big New Orleans guy, uh, acquiring CJ McCollum at the trade deadline for the NBA. So, those will be some fun topics we'll be talking about with Sean. But back to Super Bowl 56. The Rams made the Super Bowl just about three years ago. They played the New England Patriots in what many people regarded as the most boring Super Bowl in NFL history. Sean McVay's team only put up three points the entire game. Uh, I already got James's thoughts on this, but Kyle, what are your thoughts about both of these teams getting here? It seems like one team we thought had a shot. The other team, this run was unpredictable. Yeah, I think when you look back at it uh, almost a year ago to the day, right? And I've, I've, Stuck by my word for the most part. I kind of deferred off a little bit just because the Tom Brady factor is so hard to argue against. But I said that when that trade happened for Matthew Stafford back in January or or the beginning of February, one of the two, that team was going to the NFC Championship. Now, obviously, they did so. They wanted to go to the Super Bowl. They beat uh, Brady in the second round. So, obviously, couldn't have that NFC Championship matchup. But they were instantly a Super Bowl-caliber team based on him being quarterback. And this is no... uh, knock on Jared Goff, but you've seen in the play in which you get from Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff in a Sean McVay system is just otherworldly, right? This is a Mm -hmm. guy that we're talking about with the exception of Aaron Rodgers and and Tom Brady this year. He'd probably be running away with the MVP just based on what he's done, had one of the best seasons of his personal career. But now you refrain back and you you talk about the Bengals. The Bengals are just such an unbelievable story. And if they are able to win on Sunday – it would be one of the greatest stories in sports history based on what they were uh, in the beginning of the season. They were a team uh, with a quarterback who played last year, had one of the most terrific injuries that we've seen in a very long time, Joe Theismann-esque. Didn't even know if he'd be able to play again. Then he comes back. They talk about the discussion about how, uh, you know, draft Penny Sewell. That way you, you, you protect Joe Burrow. The argu- you remember the argument, Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase? Seems like everybody's eating their words right now. Jamar Chase looks like one of the best rookie receivers that we've ever seen before and maybe has even solidified himself just in his rookie years, the top 10 receiver in the league, that combination between him and Burrow. But I I just saw this yesterday, guys. I don't know if you saw this. The betting odds for the Bengals to even reach the Super Bowl, forget about winning it, were Mm -hmm. the same odds that the Jets and the Jaguars had. That's how much of an underdog this team was going into this year. So to see what they've been able to accomplish in this year alone and then People talking about the job of Zach Taylor, and if he's the guy, this is year three going into the season. He was 6'25 and 1. Is he the guy? To see Joe Burrow lead this team, truly lead this team, to see the coaching of Zach Taylor evolve in year three, to get to a Super Bowl on the highest of levels, to talk about a team that a lot of people are even picking to beat this super team that we're looking at in LA that have the likes of a Matthew Stafford, uh, a Sony Michelle, a Cooper Cup, who's had the greatest receiving se- uh, season. 
arguably ever, ever, in, ever, mm-hmm. uh, to add Odell Beckham Jr., to add Von Miller, one of the greatest pass rushers of all time, to have uh, Aaron Donald, uh, one of the greatest football players of all time, arguably, maybe when all is said and done. Jalen Ramsey, arguably one of the best DBs of all time. To be going up against that team, to be going from a team in the last offseason talked about in the likes of the Jags and the Jets, to now being told that this is a team that could maybe win the Super Bowl against that super team, elite team, it's mind-boggling. But what a story it would be if they were able to complete the job on Sunday. We've got some fireworks in the comments section right now. I'll readdress Kyle's point in just a minute, but Alec Wall. James, if you want to pin that for us, the Portland Trailblazers have been making some moves, and my Milwaukee Ooh. Bucks are just half a game back on y'all now. So Alec, Alec, watch Walt, out. Alec, Walt, Alec Walt wants the smoke. He wants the smoke. Trailblazers <laughs> over the heat. Come on, man. Come on. We'll have to we'll have to talk about we'll have to talk about that in another video, throwing out shade like that. Can't be doing that. <laughs> Powell, gone. Covington, gone. McCollum, gone. It's Dame. And Nurkic. That's all that's left on that team. They Sad. lost Gary Trent. Man, like <clears throat> crazy stuff right there. Um, the Fog has joined the comment section. What's up, Stephen? Vaughn is over the hill. Interesting point. What? Jalen Ramsey isn't top 10 all time at his position. Love to hear that. And Odell is at best a number two wide receiver. This is, oh. The, the smoke the being thrown into the conversation. I don't know. I, I, I agree well, with look, the Odell I comment. Like, I like the Fogs point a lot. And, and uh, Tiki Barber brought up a good point this week about Odell. Um, you have to respect the fact, and Kyle might drop his jaw uh, with what I'm about to say, but you have to respect the fact that Odell has changed his attitude to a certain extent um, when he was younger, you could tell the guys matured a little bit. But my biggest thing, and, and look, you're—I mean, the Fogs probably—I'm uh, sure he remembers the urinating in Philly situation, the fake urinating that was. But, but it's not that. It's for me. It's when he went on the radio and, and bashed e- Eli Manning, which is something no other Giant ever did. That—that's the biggest problem to this day that I, I still have with him. But. He's matured a little bit, and I think he is a very solid number two wide receiver for this Rams team. And um, he took advantage of a leaked buck secondary in the playoffs. And Odell Beckham deserves to be playing in this game. He does. He deserves to be playing in this game. Uh, you know, he he doesn't want all the smoke. He doesn't want all the money. At this point in in his career, he wants to win. But at the same time, if you're Matthew Stafford, you better be very, very careful with this guy because you know his poor track record. I mean, he's called out Eli. He's called out Baker. He'll do the same thing to you at some point. I wouldn't put it past him to do that. Has he matured a little bit? Yes. But I'm going to hold the horses a little bit, and I'm not going to entirely agree with the Fogs point at best a number two, but I like it. I do like his point. With with the Fogs point, uh, breaking down one by one by one, Vaughn is not over the hill. I would, I, I think that we would all say at this point in time, there are probably about, what, probably half the teams in the NFL would kill for a pass rusher like Vaughn Miller, even at the age of 32 years old. Whether you want to say he's not the 2015 Denver Broncos against the uh, Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl, Von Miller, I'd still take him at this point in time, and I know a lot of people would the same. 
Uh, I might have accidentally said Ramsey top 10 all time. I think I just said top DB in the league at this point in time. I don't, I, that's not an argument. I don't think so. I think he's one of the best DBs in all of football right now. If, if we were to say right now, and I think he has been the last couple of years. And Odell is at best a number two. I'm not going to go along the likes of saying that, Tom. I agree with your point that I think he's kind of matured in a situation. And we know the biggest factor is that, I'll admit, my personal opinion, not at best a number two. I'll even admit that. I've never denied the man's talent. I think that the the his skill set has been brought out in a higher regard because of the fact that even though I think that when you look at most NFL teams out of the 32, I'd probably say that, let's see, maybe 24 of them, he'd be the number one receiver on 24 of those teams. I don't I don't know if that's an argument either, but I think being comfortable behind a Cooper Cup who no defense has seemingly been able to figure out <laughs> has been a nice transition for him to be a part of and and also winning cures all again i don't want to get into the whole debate of you know eli and baker but at at the play in which eli was playing at towards the end of his career and and what we saw with baker mayfield in three years this is might be the best quarterback play that he's had to work with in in the course of his career I, i don't know if that's an argument either and i think that's why things are clicking the way that they're clicking right now at least in my personal opinion and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna steer clear of the argument as well. But I will drop this to, for you. I'm, I'm touch. I'm walking around. Uh, we are flirting here. with a debate here. Yes, you. Odell, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Odell missed Eli when he was in Cleveland. No I'll doubt. Put it, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. No doubt. But I think that that quarterback play in which he jumped to was was not better either. Not great either. Well, can I bring this up? That I believe uh, Odell ah, is in the. Super Bowl and Eli Apple's in the Super Bowl. Weren't they two first round picks for us? Uh, yes. Moving on, uh, let's get to some more comments here. Um, Mike Ralston says, "Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Chicago Bulls will be the twenty two champions. Remember, you heard it here first. Uh, absolutely not. They will not win the twenty twenty two championship. I think it's either going to go to." A team like the Warriors, um, the, the the Bucks have a very and that this is totally unbiased. I think the Bucks and the Heat have the two best shots out of the East to make it. But we'll talk about basketball a little bit later. Actually, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference, Mike. If you want to stick around for that, let's get back to the football talk. Um, Phoenix as well. Fog brings up a good point. Can't count them out. Uh, the Fog also says that could pose a problem when Brooks comes back next year. It could. Um, Tommy Mack, how's it going? You don't think Odell forced his way out of Cleveland? Tom, I do. I, uh, Tommy, I, do. I never, never, never said that he didn't. But this is the biggest thing it, it, to kind of like seal the argument. And this has always been my plea. Is I don't know that if the argument's going to be sealed. I don't, I don't have – I know people are against players going out against players or, or being outspoken. I don't disagree with that. I think that behind closed doors might be the better way instead of taking to social media. No doubt about it. But when you are as talented as a player like Odell Beckham, Beckham Jr., I think you stand not above all, but you stand on a certain sort of podium to be able to vocalize yourself because at the end of the day, and, and something that I'll attest to is, as well, especially watching these Giants the last couple of years, is that I hate nothing more. Forget about losing. I hate nothing more than watching talent be wasted. That's something at the end of the day, 31 teams are going to get to January, are going to get to February, and they're all going to be sad. Only one team is going to be celebrating. We understand that. But when you waste talent and you're not even competing for playoff position, 
I understand that completely. And the fact that when he in his tenure with Cleveland, with maybe the exception of the first year, this guy completely fell out of the lineup. And you say to yourself, how did that happen? How is Baker Mayfield, who's, you know, people are talking about may not even be with the Cleveland Browns next year, Kevin Stefanski coming in this offensive guru, and you can't find any routes for arguably at one point in time a top five receiver in all of football? And they had the best line in the AFC. And they had the best line in all of football. You had probably the best tandem of running backs in football. So you had all the protection in the world. You had the best running backs to take off the pressure off the quarterback as well. Yep. But you're, tell- you're telling me you can't find any plays for Odell Beckham Jr. in your game scheme? I, I understand completely why he's spoken out the way he did, because he was completely falling out of the lineup. The fact that Odell Beckham Jr. would finish off games with three targets in a game is mind-boggling to me and ridiculous to waste that kind of talent. So I don't blame him. I don't blame him for forcing himself out of Cleveland, because you know what? We could be talking Sunday night. Himself for- forcing himself out of Cleveland, he could have just won himself a Super Bowl ring by doing so. And I don't blame him for doing so. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we're talking about the Browns and Odell and not the Giants and Odell. Um, Steering clear. In the twilight of his career and has huge help on that defense, I would take Vaughn in Philly. But, again, there is help around him. He's not prime Vaughn was what I was – oh, yeah, no, of yeah, course. Agreed, agreed. Odell had a right to get out of Cleveland. 100%. You could argue that more than the Giants. I, I do agree with Tommy Mack's point. To an extent, and I definitely agree with this comment 110%. But we're not going to get into this. No, um, we're not. Stop everybody, the comment section. Stop it. Everybody wants to see a fight. It's not going to happen. If it happens, I got to remove both of them, and you got to listen to me for the night. So I don't those think days you are do long that. gone. Those were weekly events on Review and Preview about the They were years weekly ago. events. But historically, let's talk about both teams that are in the Super Bowl, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The Cincinnati Bengals, they're 0 2 all time in the Super Bowl. They lost both of their Super Bowl meetings to the San Francisco 49ers, which is why part of me was thinking, oh, the Bengals won the AFC championship. The 49ers are definitely going to win. Because <laughs> what happened was I picked Rams in quick picks, but I took 49ers money line on DraftKings. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm either going to get it right in quick picks and win nothing or get it wrong in quick picks and win some money. But unfortunately, that was not the case. Um the Rams have not been very successful in the big game either. They are one in three all time. They did win Super Bowl 34 against the Tennessee Titans. We know what happened on the last play of that game. Touchdown saving tackle at the one yard line. They lost in 36 to the Patriots. That was their first Super Bowl as a franchise. And they also lost in 53 to the Patriots. So two of their three Super Bowl losses were to the New England Patriots. So right then and there, I think the Rams definitely all logic signs are pointing them to being the favorites in this game, right? Especially since they're at their home stadium. Again, what kind of advantage does that have fans wise? Not much, but moment momentum wise and familiarity, of course. Now, a fun fact, I, I just want to shout out Hank and Dichter for this fun fact. This is the first Super Bowl since 1978 where both quarterbacks have been wearing the same number, both number nines, little fun fact. And right. another one here, the Bengals and Rams in their all-time series, Cincinnati leads 8-6. to six. Their last meeting was on October 27th, 2019, where the Rams won 24-10. And since we're on the Rams, we'll, we'll talk about them first. 12-5 record. They won the NFC West, finishing um, as the number four seed. They beat the Cardinals, Bucks, and 49ers to get to the playoffs. So they beat two divisional opponents and Tom Brady. That's very impressive. And they're a team that's averaged 27 points per game 
this season. We already kind of talked about how they got here, but when you have Matthew Stafford, a guy who threw for 4,900 yards this year, 41 touchdowns, you have the triple crown winner in Cooper Cup, 145 catches, nearly 2,000 receiving yards and 16 touchdowns. How do you not get to the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you saw the bomb. If Stafford doesn't throw that bomb to Cooper Cup and the Bucks don't have a paper-thin defense, Tom Brady proves everybody wrong again. Yeah. In fact, I get it. There was a lot of luck on his side in that game that helped him get back into it. But Brady made the plays when it mattered. Stafford and Cup are just an insane connection that seems unstoppable. Good luck, Eli Apple, on Sunday. <laughs> it's it's really something to watch. It's really something special. And, and Tom, you talked about it in the Tampa Bay game, especially more than ever, is that what would have been the most upsetting thing about that if they had lost and Tom Brady would have come back? Because I think that uh, I think that a lot of us would agree is that you know Tampa moves on to play the 49ers. They'd probably win that game. They'd be in Super Bowl, and they'd probably be the favorites, just yeah. like the Rams are right now as well. But with that game is what would have been most upsetting about that if the Rams would have lost is that they would have lost having nothing to do with Matthew Stafford and his performance. It would have been because of the late fumble by Cam Akers or the fumble by Cooper Cup, who never drops the ball. It would have been the center, Brian Allen, snapping it 50 yards behind Matthew Stafford, turning the ball over. It was everything in, in, in spite of what Matthew Stafford was able to accomplish, like completely wiped away that first half performance because of what the members of his team around him did. Now you go to the San Francisco game and, and you say maybe different measures because it's like you're watching the first three quarters of football and Jimmy Garoppolo in the first three quarters is out playing Matthew Stafford. You're saying, you know, you, you have a quarter left. You got to get back in this game, though. And he did exactly that. And something that we've, or at least I've learned from Matthew Stafford, and he's really held truth to his word, which is something that I appreciate as a fan, uh, appreciate as a, a lover of football, is that when he was traded to the Rams, and, and even after the NFC Championship game, he continues to say the same phrase, that, that he just wants to be a part of the big-time moments. He wants to make the big-time throws. He wants to be a part of big-time games. And he's done everything in regards to promising and keeping his promise on those words in which he preached a year ago and, and those words in which he preached two weeks ago after defeating the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Kyle, I know you remember the uh, early years of Matthew Stafford, but James and I, obviously being a, a couple years older, mm-hmm. we we remember when Matthew Stafford sucked. I mean, his rookie oh, year, yeah. he, he was bad. He threw 20 interceptions. Again, he was playing on the Detroit Lions, for heaven's sake. But the highlight of Matthew Stafford's season every year was getting blown out on Thanksgiving. Yeah, That's what it was. It was really, really sad. And it got to the point where his O-line was so bad, he didn't even finish some of the games. I remember Sean Hill had to come in and finish a game. We mm-hmm. saw David Blau start a game a couple years ago. Um, He's been put through the ringer. How happy are you for this guy on a personal level? Me? Or Kyle? Yeah. We're, t- we're talking about Stafford, not Odell James. Just to no, no, no I, I know who we're talking about. <laughs> uh, trust me, I know who we're talking about. That was uh, more shade. That was more shade. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, just being honest. I am beyond thrilled for the man. He's shown from what he did when he first entered the league and where he can go with the right team, with the right play calling, with the right weapons. It's great to see him come almost make a full circle in a sense where he downright sucked and now he's pretty much king of the hill. 
Um, he has one more mountain to climb. Nice Thank you. Um, he has one more mountain. <laughs> he has one more mountain to climb, and if he does it, it, it'll just show that he is capable of doing it. The years when he was in the Lions in a in a Lions uniform was not because of his poor play. It was everything around him that did not give him the opportunity to succeed and succeed even a little bit more than at times he was able to. I, I agree with that. That's a fair evaluation. And I think the acquisitions of players like Von Miller on defense this season, the trade with the Broncos and then Odell signing him really helped him out. I mean, Odell had five touchdowns and he came in the same week Robert Woods went down. We're mm-hmm. not really talking about Odell Beckham. If Robert Woods is still healthy, Odell is probably I'm not going to say buried on this depth chart, but to the Fogs point earlier, he might be the number three and he, yeah. he probably would be the number three and Van Jefferson would be the, the number four. And look at Van Jefferson's rookie year, 50 catches over 800 yards and six touchdowns. Um, he made Kadarius Tony look like a fifth round pick with the numbers that he put up. Uh, Jefferson that, was that a rookie good. this year. I thought this was his second year. Or, Am I wrong? I think I think so. I don't think he was drafted this year. We're gonna have to look this up. Now I'm intrigued. Van Jefferson, he's 25. Oh, I'm definitely wrong. 2020. Yeah, 2020. You were right. But back to the game. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, it's the elephant in the room. It's Aaron Donald, probably the best interior defensive lineman of this generation. Twelve and a half sacks. 25 quarterback hits and four forced fumbles. I mean, take the under on Joe Mixon rushing yards, fellas. Uh, the, the Bengals have an atrocious offensive line. Um, I don't like anybody they have outside of Jonah Williams. I know they drafted mm-hmm. Jackson Carmen, but I don't think they really use him much. And Riley Reeves has been hurt. Their interior stinks. You're looking at guys like, like Spain, um, Hopkins, whatever his name is. They're not good. So if you're the Bengals, Kyle, what's the game plan to steer clear of Aaron Donald? Because I don't know if there is one. We saw what happened in the Tennessee game. I don't think there is a way necessarily to game plan against a a defensive line of that magnitude. I think the, the game plan would essentially be to just do quick slant plays, uh, short yard gainage, try to drain uh, time off the clock. I think that's probably the optimal situation just because – you know, whether you choose to double coverage Aaron Donald, then that still probably won't work. You're going to lose with not covering a Von Miller or Leonard Floyd and vice versa and vice versa. You're losing it every, every stretch possible. But again, we said the same things going into the AFC championship game when they were playing the chiefs is that, mm-hmm. okay, they managed to get away with it in Tennessee, giving up nine sacks. Now you're going up against it, a defense. We're talking about interior defensive lineman. Chris Jones is, again, not on the level of Aaron Donald, but also one of maybe the top five interior defensive linemen in all of football. And then you got Jaron Reed, and then you got Frank Clark, and then you got all these other guys, uh, LeJarius Sneed, you got Tyron Matthew, you got uh, all these great defensive guys uh, that that really can cause some problems in terms of having uh, having success. And you know what? That didn't seem to matter too much for Joe Burrow. He seems to overcome all obstacles. And I think that's something that we appreciate as football fans is that no matter what obstacle has been put in his way, in his path so far, even, even the injury, which people seem to completely forget about this. This was an injury just a year ago that people didn't even think he was going to be able to play again. 
let alone take his team to the Super Bowl in the very next year with one of the worst offensive lines in all of football. Like, who, who could have predicted that? But to do what he's doing, I, it's like, it's so hard. It's almost like it's Tom Brady-esque. It's Tom Brady-esque because you say to yourself, Tom Brady's had some very good situations before, but again, when we when we look at talent and rosters with the New England Patriots, I wouldn't say that Tom Brady's ever had the most, well, maybe the exception of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that he's ever necessarily had the most talented team all across the board in all of football. But because he was there, because of Bill Belichick being there in his play calling, it didn't seem to matter what was put in front of him. It didn't seem to matter that, you know, Tom Brady was in Tampa his first year and they they won they won the Super Bowl. It didn't seem to matter that they were down, what, 28-3 to against the Rams, and even though they weren't able to complete the comeback, they almost did it because of Tom Brady. Joe Burrow is the same type of guy. How many of us here thought that the, the game was over, the AFC Championship game was over through the first, what, 25 minutes of the game, the way the Chiefs were piling on the points? I know I did, but it didn't matter for Joe Burrow. And, and that's the scariest thing about it is that we're talking up the defense and very – very well should because you got two solidified Hall of Famers already in Aaron Donald and Von Miller on that defense. But Joe Burrow has been able to overcome all obstacles. And I, and that's why people are, are, are still picking the Bengals because they wouldn't be surprised if he does the same thing on Sunday. And before we get to Joe Burrow, Rams also have Leonard Floyd, nine and a half sacks. We didn't yeah. talk about him. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey, four picks, is going to be matched up against Jamar Chase. So, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of alludes things to T. Higgins. I'm not sure Tyler Higby is going to play. I know his status is in doubt right now. Um, expect Blanton to be the starting tight end. Cam Akers coming off an injury that made him miss the 2021 season, but played in the NFC Championship game somehow. Let's talk about Joe Burrow and those Cincinnati Bengals. They went 10 7. They won the AFC North, made the playoffs for the first time since 2015. They beat the Raiders, the Titans, and the Chiefs, and they also averaged 27 points per game. Fun fact, the tale of two teams here. Joe Burrow, in his second season, completed 70% of his passes, threw for over 4,600 yards, 34 touchdowns, but he was sacked 51 times. That is definitely a sign of concern oh, for man. Sunday. That's it's, it's not – listen, on paper, it's not a winning formula. There's, there's no doubt. But he's like, – like I've said, he's been able to overcome every obstacle that's been put forth his way. And that's why it's so hard, almost in a sense, like I bring up the Brady-esque. It's like how do you – and again, he doesn't have the stature. He doesn't have the resume that Brady's put together over the course of 22 years in the NFL – but he has that personality, he has that composure, he has that swagger about him. It's just like, well, how do you bet against that guy? Like, you don't, I don't think you feel comfortable choosing against either one of these teams. If you're, if you're putting money on anything, if you're betting, I don't think you feel comfortable betting against any other one of these guys. That's why I'm happy that I have no uh, horse in the race at this point in time. I'm just watching to have fun. I think we're getting a very good game. But um, Joe Burrow, I, I can't preface this enough. If he wins on Sunday, I, I think it would go down as one of the greatest stories in sports history. I, I really do. It, it is literally uh, an E60 writing itself as we speak. What if I told you Joe Burrow would suffer a Joe Theismann-like injury mm-hmm. and he'd come back to take a franchise that for what? They had a 20-something, 30-something, 32-year drought not making the playoffs. And in year two, with a rookie wide receiver, with a – a bunch of players on a team, guys, break down this roster for me real quick. Has anybody on the Bengals 
even been to the Super Bowl before? Has there been anybody there? I mean, with no. the exception of Zach Taylor going there with the Rams on the coaching staff. I don't staff, think so. Has there been anybody there? I think they're all No, but to your point, this kid, Joe Burrow, went from a kid sitting home alone to playing in this game this year. <laughs> I like um, what you did there. Well, Have he is a 90s kid, so I had to throw that out there. Was he um, lost in New York at one point, too? <laughs> I wish. Maybe he would have found the Giants. Joe Mixon <laughs> is a player that a lot of people are talking about. I don't expect him to have a great game. Yes, he did have over 1,200 rushing yards on the season and 13 touchdowns, but I'm looking at rookie Jamar Chase. He's still going to get his fair mm-hmm. share of reps, even with Jalen Ramsey tagged on him. 81 catches, over 1,400 receiving yards, and 13 touchdowns as a rookie. And second-year receiver T. Higgins, 74 catches, 1,100 yards, and six tutties. So T. Higgins is an X factor for me in this game because you're going to draw softer coverage. Plus, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really know who the Rams' number two corner is. Isn't it like Darius Williams or something that plays across Jalen Ramsey? I think so. I, think I know so. they have Taylor Rapp, Eric Weddle in the second. Is Taylor Rapp going to be playing in this game? That's another be, question. He's questioning. Because I know he's been dealing with a concussion throughout yeah. the playoffs. But we're looking at Cincinnati. The offensive weapons don't stop there. Tyler Boyd, 830 receiving yards, 67 catches, five touchdowns. C.J. Uzoma, is he going to play? It's He's more than likely going to suit up. This is the mm-hmm. last game of the season. I think he had a like UCL, MCL injury or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. MCL injury. It's yeah. weird. Both tight ends got hurt in the conference championship game. In the first yeah. quarter, too. In the first quarter. It's like these teams really repeated each other. But, oh, this is going to kill our guest backstage when he joins in about five minutes from now. Trey Hendrickson had 14 and a half sacks this season for the Bengals. I think 14, actually. 27 quarterback hits and three forced fumbles. Now, we know the Rams have a good offensive line. They have Andrew Whitworth. They have David Edwards. Corbett's not bad either. Rob Havenstein at right tackle. Um, but you got Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, BJ Hill. Hmm. Yes, Another I said. Giant. Another this giant. Is, That's this like is a giants? stacked defensive line. You have a second-year linebacker in Logan Wilson who was insane this year, had four picks and 100 tackles, not to mention Sam Hubbard, seven and a half sacks in his own right. Yeah. I was going to bring up, the nobody Bengals. really talks about Sam Hubbard. It's it's almost been like a beneficiary to have a obviously Trey Hendrickson the season that he had with the Saints last year, like they're benefiting off one of one another. You know, you either deal with Sam Hubbard or you're dealing with Trey Hendrickson. I just want to clarify that was my fire alarm. There's no fire in my house. We are all safe. Um, <laughs> just wanted to clarify that. I got the uh, good word from the contractors upstairs drilling my bedroom. Uh, but anyway, um, we were talking about the Bengals, and yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of big keys to this game. Let's get to some comments here before we predict this game. Uh, Mike Ralston says he predicts Bengals to win 31-27. Joe Burrow as the MVP. Interesting. And he also comments that just imagine if a franchise like the Lions had a Super Bowl quarterback like Stafford. That one's that shades at Detroit. That's what the show's all about. It's all about their own shade. Burrow's trajectory seems to be much higher than Ken Anderson and Boomer Esiason, LOL. Yeah, those were the two starting quarterbacks, I believe, in both Bengals Super Bowl. So, And I know three people 
at least that I know personally, that picked the Bengals to beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Boomer Esiason. James. What? You picked the Bengals to beat the Chiefs. When? Did he? I don't oh, know. Oh, the Bengals versus the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he said it on the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Come on, James. And there, there was one other person. I Oh, AJ from Three Man yeah. Lead. Yeah, yeah. The only three people to pick the Bengals that I know. And my gosh, I think Stafford will be a Hall of Famer. Check the stats, and he has four to five solid years left. Yeah, and four to oh, five no. solid years left, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got more than five years left, in my opinion, if he stays on the rims. Noah Dibler, how's it going, my friend? John Matthew Stafford ready to boat race the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> boat race. I like it. I like it. That Bengals D was flying around the ball in the second half against Kansas City. If they can do that for four quarters of football, then they will be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Quick question, ask Mike. What was wrong with Burrow at Ohio State that he couldn't win the starting job? Probably just probably just never given the chance. I'm trying to. What what year was he with Ohio State? Because he played. Uh, I'm, was that the JT Barrett, the Cardell Jones era? Was that the 2019? No. Uh, was that no. Dwayne Haskins era, 2018? Yes, I believe that was the Dwayne Haskins era. Uh, we 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 do have an LSU fan backstage. Um, so. Uh, shaking his head so i i do think that's when it was because then burrow won the national championship with lsu his senior year but quickly um let's predict this super bowl game rams and Bengals going at it james i'll start with you here because i know you like to play tricks with us mm-hmm. so i'm actually going to put you on the spot and pick first so you can't base your strategy off of who we pick all right congratulations thank you the Bengals. I'm yeah. Taking. All right. Uh, Joey B. I, I like Final it. score 27-21. Okay. So you have them just missing. the. I think the over-under is at 48 and a half. You have them scoring 48 points. That's going to lose a lot of people money, James. You know what? I can't spend $45,000 to sit in that stadium. Too bad. They can lose some more money. All right, Kyle, you want next here? I do want next. I'm going to take the L.A. Rams. I'm going to give it a final score, just a classic score, right? 27-24. Put already in quick picks. I think the total points I have for that is 51, so I'm going to stick by my word with 27 and 24 points. Rams going to win this thing. I think that it's that, that defense, Tom, like you alluded to, I think the, the Bengals really – I don't know how they did it against the, the Chiefs, but I don't, I don't think they can do it against this Rams team. Kyle, you're going to cry if uh, Odell wins the Super Bowl, aren't you? I listen. We're, we're, I don't know if we've announced it yet. We're having a show on uh, Sunday. I'm wearing that Odell Beckham Jr. jersey. We are having a Super Bowl preview show on Sunday at 9 o'clock. I did not announce it yet, but I'm happy I jumped the gun. <laughs> Roll out of bed at 8.55, put your PJs on, grab your cup of coffee, and join us live here on Review Preview Sports for our Super Bowl special preview show. Um, so Kyle's going Rams. Did you pick a score? Yeah, 27-24 Rams. Yeah, last year we had a weird score. It was a 31-9 final. The, the, the Bucks just obliterated the Chiefs in that game. Um, yeah, um, at least 
Kyle, I believe you didn't go against your pick last year. That that was some moment. <laughs> I went with Tampa I, all I, year round, and I fell. <laughs> uh, I, push comes to shove. Push Chiefs. comes to shove. Pick the Chiefs. Was right. wrong um, miserably. All right, my turn, and I haven't fully decided yet. So ignore what I have currently marked down on quick picks because I'm still not sure. Um. All logic and signs point to the Rams winning this game. They're the more experienced playoff team. They're the better football team. They have Matthew Stafford. They have Cooper Cup. I don't think that – I think if the Bengals have one weakness, it's their secondary. Their front seven, no problem. But it's going to be interesting to see if Cincinnati can counteract that. However, Joe Burrow, there is something about this kid. He is Joe Cool. He doesn't lose. Everyone's saying who day. This reminds me of the Saints Super Bowl back from 2009. So at this time, I'm going to pick the Cincinnati Bengals to win Super Bowl 56 over the Los Angeles Rams by a final score of 24 to 20. And on that note, Let's bring up our lovely guest for the evening and get his Super Bowl prediction before we jump in to his New Orleans Saints, Sean Militello from Off the Dorm, Off the Dome Sports. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How's it going, guys? It's going, going good, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be on. But first things first, Bengals are winning the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow is going to be Super Bowl MVP. And you're looking at a 42-28 final score. Bengals absolutely make a burnt toast out of Jalen Ramsey. Jamar Chase, Tyler Board, and Higgins, they're going to make a burnt toast out of Ramsey. I'm telling you, 42-28 Bengals. We got we got boat raced. We got burnt toast. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Brucey, you got to start writing some of this stuff down. Listen, man, we got it all. We got it all in the archives. You know what it is. Sean, before we kind of dive more deeply into this, can you plug your podcast at Off the the Dome Sports? Yeah. uh, Talking about like where you can find it? Yes. Where can people find your show? So you can find it on Facebook. That's where I do most of my live streaming at. Um, So you could just type in Off the Dome Sports. You'll you'll see the Off the Dome Sports logo. And then I'm on YouTube. Um, I post, you know, maybe short, some short clips from the shows, a live stream on there as well. Twitter. Um, I, I believe it's at off the dome Oh nine, uh, or it's probably off the dome. Actually it's OTD sports Oh nine on Twitter. And you can also find me on Instagram, but Instagram, I'm not too worried about, uh, <laughs> Instagram is extremely hard to, uh, socialize on there as a, uh, page, but, um, uh, but yeah, that's, those are the places you can find me. Also on Twitch. Twitch. You can find me on Twitch. But uh, I'm still new to Twitch. So I'm not too sure how to work it. I know I know I live stream on it, but I'm still working on the Twitch game. That's awesome. And I know you've had me on your show before. Really, again, appreciate you for that. And figured I'd return the favor here tonight. And the reason why I brought you on, it's not just to talk about the Saints, but doesn't this Super Bowl have a similar feel Colts versus Saints a little bit. Everyone's like, who dat? And now everyone's like, who day? Like, how do you pick <laughs> against that? You know, it's just like a term that sticks in my head. And I'm like, I don't want to be the silly one Monday morning that picked the Rams. Granted, 
Kyle and I picked the same team last year to win and both lost. So I'm not picking with Kyle again this year. <laughs> I'm bad luck now. <laughs> you are? Damn. Hmm. All right, don't bet on me, guys. Don't put any money down. <laughs> but, um, Sean, isn't there just a similar field? You know, this young kid, Joe Burrow, coming out of college. I know you're a big LSU fan, so you watched him there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just wanting ingredient that makes everything taste good on that Cincinnati offense. Exactly. And to refer back to that show we had, it was a great show we had. Um, it, it takes a lot of ingredients to make a cake or bake a cake. So, I mean, I will give you this. It does have the same magical feel. Um, I could tell you that, you know, and, th- and this is the honest truth, you know, the year the Saints won the Super Bowl before the season even started, I knew we were going to be a Super Bowl team. I just knew. And I just knew we were going to play the Colts. I just, for some reason, I knew that was going to happen back when it did happen. And I, don't ask me how. I'm not making that up. I knew that was going to happen. We made some pieces. We we got certain ingredients, you know, you know, the, the bake the cake and, you know, come out with a nice, moist, good cake, you know. And, and, and the Bengals, they did exactly that. You know, they added Jamar Chase. That was a, that was a piece, right? And, you know, they added some couple former Saints, Trey Henderson. That's another uh, piece. Eli Apple, who gets a lot of hate in New Orleans right now because he trash-talked New Orleans a little bit. I don't know if y'all seen that on Twitter, but Saints Twitter has absolutely just, like, killed him. Like, he, he's done for with the Saints. But, you know, that's a former Saint as well. Von Bell. You know, you know, another piece they added last year, you know, multiple pieces they have made on this team. Higgins last year, part of a, a Clemson team. He's won a national championship with a Clemson. Um, and then you also got guys like Tyler Boyd, who was already there, a veteran, uh, which truly underrated wide receiver in this league. Tyler Boyd. I, I would love him on the Saints. Um, he's truly underrated. But, you know, you got all these pieces and then Joe Burrow. You know, you know, he's the closest person or player I've ever seen to Tom Brady. And I'm not talking about as his play and how he plays and how he, you know, I'm talking about his mentality and the way he looks at the game and how he prepares for each and every game. It's 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 different. It's certainly different. And the magic behind the Bengals season is very similar to the magic the Saints had in their Super Bowl um, season. That that was an outstanding point. I totally agree. I think Joe Burrow reminds me of Tom Brady in a lot of ways. He's not a guy that runs with the ball a lot, right? People say, oh, well, you know, he's not a dual threat, right? He's a pocket passer. That's who Joe Burrow is. He's a guy that can take off when the play breaks down. Um. Quick comment here from Ben Cruz. Keys for both teams. Bengals execute their run game. Bengals O-line will be tested. Don't let them play soft zone like first half versus Kansas City. For the Rams, the defensive front will create multiple Cincy turnovers and Stafford have a field day. I'm going Cincy in a dogfight. You know what? I don't like how everyone's picking the Bengals now. This is beginning to get a little controversial here. Tommy, uh, you can't refrain back and pick the guy you said has bad luck with the Rams, man. Bengals, <laughs> Steve. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, but. Tom, that's because you let me go first. See, that's what happened. Nothing to do with you going first. Well, everybody decided to go my way. 
I like this that's comment. Funny. That's a good one. I don't think that's happening, Mike. <laughs> Lovey Smith against uh, Dan Campbell. <laughs> that would be an interesting coaching matchup for Super Bowl 57. I, I don't know. But speaking of coaches, let's segue into our next segment. We're going to go over the head coaching carousel and update the coaches that have been hired. All head coaching positions have been filled, not officially, because the Vikings have to wait till after the Super Bowl to hire O'Connell as their new head coach, who is the offensive coordinator for the Rams. Uh, Sean, what do you make of this head coaching carousel? I mean, Doug Peterson gets hired by Jacksonville. Mike McDaniel goes to Miami, which I predicted. Lovey Smith to the Texans has not been a coach since 2015. And then Dennis Allen, your guy being promoted from D.C. to head coach for the Saints. I think this hire it makes a lot of sense due to the current cap situation that the Saints are in. And he's been a head coach before. Absolutely. And, um, and something to note that uh, Dennis Allen has been with the Saints for over 12 seasons. Now, it's obviously not consecutive. It's, you know, it's been off and on. Uh, you know, he's been a head coach of the Raiders where he went 8-28. and 28. But the thing is, you know, people do resort to that sometimes. But, you know, you look at the Raiders as a franchise and their history – uh, especially over the past two decades, is like, well, that's kind of understandable why he wasn't successful. But the fact that he made improvements during that time uh, when he was with the Raiders. And uh, the thing is, when he was a defense coordinator with the Broncos, the fact that he was only a defense coordinator for one year and then automatically jumped to a head coach the following year, I mean, I think that's, that shows a lot. He's a guy that knows the Saints um, on all levels he knows the saints organization he he, he knows everything about the saints so i I don't think there could have been more of a better hire than dennis allen i would have liked eric bimini i think he's off awesome offensive coordinator great play caller but I, i just think dennis allen is your best chance to keep familiarity um because you know you got some key guys in free agency um and you don't know what direction you're going to go with. And it, and it honestly starts with quarterback. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we were going to, we're probably going to talk about that later, but quarterback is obviously priority number one. And then number two, I would say offensive line, you know, offensive line, you know, in the past, great offensive line, but you know, Taron Armstead's a free agent. He's going to be a highly regarded free agent. Left tackles are hard to come by. I don't think we're going to be able to afford him um, just because we got Marcus Williams to pay. Uh, I think we're going to tag Marcus Williams. I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to be able to sign him to a contract or a contract we can agree on. So Dennis Allen gives you the best chance to keep the guys you already had and to re-sign some guys, Um, some key guys. Like I said, Marcus Williams, I don't know if he's going to be able to do Taron Armstead. So, I mean, that's why you keep Dennis out. And, and for the most part, people don't realize that the Saints, you know, has one of the best coaching staffs in the league, I would say. You know, uh, Pete Carmichael, which um, for some reason, he's not going to be the offense coordinator. I thought he was. Uh, apparently, he's stepping down to take a different role. Uh, I guess he just doesn't want to take over play calling duties. He, I, he's never been that type of guy, I guess. But, you know, to keep him and to keep guys like Ryan Nielsen, defensive line coach and associate head coach. 
one of the young and upcoming coaches in the league. Chris Richard, a former defense coordinator from the Seahawks. He was our uh, defensive back coach this year. Those two are great coaches. To keep those two and to elevate them within the coaching staff, we just hired Doug Marone. He could be a guy to take over offense coordinator duties. Not too sure yet. It hasn't been official. He's also a former Saints coach. So I, I, I just think Dennis Allen was your best choice here, and I, I think it was your best choice to keep winning going, keep the winning going in New Orleans. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I love the choice uh, with Dennis Allen. I don't, I don't think it's a bad move either. And, in fact, when the news broke, because I think, and Tom James maybe will remember this better than, than I would, so I think the same day that Sean Payton announced that he was he was done with the Saint, uh, Saints job is the same day we were doing this quarterback carousel segment. It, it happened probably like a couple hours prior, and we were all trying to configure, you know, what would be the best option. And we all came to the conclusion that Dennis Allen should and, and now is the guy. And I think rightfully so, because, Sean, to add on to your points about what you made, I think when you look at Dennis Allen, he's been the defensive coordinator with the Saints now since 2015 in that role and has, and has been there for around six years now and not on a consecutive, like you alluded to, he's been with them much longer, but as a defensive coordinator for six straight years. And more importantly about that is that, you know, these had an extreme level of success in turning around that Saints defense. Cause Sean, as you'll know very well, the amount of years wasted on in the early 2010s of horrendous defenses, horrendous defenses. I think I saw statistics that drew Brees during that time on the offense was averaging around 27 to 28 points a game but they were losing consistently and consistently year after year because the defense was giving up those same amount of points on their side when it was their time to take the field. Once Dennis Allen took over, that's when the, the table started to turn. That's when the offense started gaining traction and sticking with that traction with Drew Brees, adding a Michael Thomas, Alvin, adding an Alvin Kamara, but then having key defensive pieces that can hold you in games and win you games. And now seeing that he's taking over as the head coach, I think that's something to look forward to. Now, do I know if this is going to be the long-term answer? Who knows? Because, Sean, like you alluded to, uh, let alone with not being able to sign, uh, re-sign your left tackle, is that the Saints right now probably, or more likely than not, arguably, have the worst cap situation in all of football at this point in time. There, there's no quarterback in sight necessarily who you're going forth with. I know Jameis Winston's a free agent, and Taysom Hill is locked up on that contract. We, we have the situation now with Alvin Kamara, situation now with Michael Thomas, who are your two best uh, skilled players at this point in time. And Michael Thomas hasn't even played a game in a year and a half plus, uh, which, is, which is scary to think about considering he's making, what, $100 million over the next couple of years? Uh, not having a quarterback in sight, losing those skilled players, losing pieces of that offensive line, losing players on that defense as well the uh, last couple of years. Again, in a division where things are starting to fall apart, I don't think it's going to be as noticed. I think the Saints are still going to be able to stay afloat. But I think more so than not, it's going to be because of the coaching of Dennis Allen. Not necessarily because of the players out there on the field. It's that they're going to have structure. They're going to have a familiar face. And that's why I think that they're, again, they're not going to be a team that's going to go 13-4. and four, But I think they're going to be a team that's going to compete in the NFC South. Rather, maybe a, another coach taking over, learning the system, and kind of being thrown into a system that, personally, I don't think is that great right now. If you're looking at the NFL from a whole standard and, and overcast of what the rest of the other 31 teams have to offer. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're looking at this from a broad perspective. It's 
more than likely going to be the Saints and the Bucks again, even without Brady. We don't know who's starting at quarterback for either team next year. It could be Kyle Trask for the Bucks and a rookie for the Saints, you know? Like, who the hell knows who's going to start for each team? And I think it's important they promoted Dennis Allen because Sean mentioned the great point, familiarity, right? Who left on the market would you feel most comfortable with being the Saints were the last team I believe maybe outside of the Raiders to find out that their head coach wasn't coming back, right? Um, it's not like they fired Sean Payton, um, which would have been a travesty if they did. But I think this is definitely one of the better hires, which kind of segues into our next question here. Sean, who do you think was the best hire at head coach in this um, year's uh, head coach in carousel? Well, you know, I'm not going to say Dennis Allen because, I mean, I, I'm honestly a fan of the Saints. So yep. I'm going to just – and honestly, it he was already in-house. So I'm not going to really count Dennis Allen. So the guys – and it there's two that I really – actually, I'm just going to go with this one. It, it, that's Doug Peterson um, with the Jaguars. And um, he's a guy that the Saints actually heavily considered. I would say he was probably – you know, up to to the point where they interviewed Eric Benny, he was probably the second option behind Dennis Allen. You know, he was competing for that job. He he, he was heavily considered. You know, has great ties with Sean Payton. They're great friends. He also had Louisiana ties. You know, he used to go to uh, ULM. He was a quarterback at ULM, which is uh, up in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, college up there. So I mean, he has Louisiana ties as well. So he was he was heavily considered to be the saints. And I think for a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence to have Doug Peterson, who got Nick Foles to the Super Bowl, who made Carson Wentz before he got injured, an MVP caliber player. I mean, you look at that. Also, let's not forget when he was the offense coordinator with the chiefs, Alex Smith, you know, Alex Smith kind of revived his career with the Chiefs, he was on another level when he went to the Chiefs. And and Doug Peterson played a part in that. Because at one point, Andy Reid, you know, was he he lets his offense corners, calls the plays, run the offense. You know, at, at one point he gave up on that. He let his offense coordinators. That's why you see Doug Peterson and Eric Bimmy do so well because they run their own offense. They're not like a guy like Pete Carmichael who just sits in the backseat with Sean Payton calling everything. So, I mean, Doug Peterson with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, I think that's a good hire. I think that's good for the, you know, culture there. I think it's good to revamp. And and honestly, you know, you know, this might be a hot take, but the Jaguars could be a poor man's Bengals next year. I think, you know, it, with the right pieces, you know, the right culture, you know, bringing a good coaching staff, you know, they could be a playoff contending team, you know, if they play the cards right. You know, I'm just saying because Trevor Lawrence, sure, bad year, but an awful coach in Urban Meyer. I mean, he, he did not get much support. So I'm just saying you add a few pieces, you know, you might see a, a Bengal-type season with the Jaguars. Now, I'm not saying like a magical season, but, you know, maybe a, a, a contending team to make the playoffs because well, as far as I know, I mean – you know, you got the Titans, you got the Colts, but you know, 
you can't be any worse than the Texans, right? So I mean, (laughs) so I mean, that's two teams to beat. If you maybe just beat out one of those teams, the Colts or the uh, which I think you can, you you could beat out the Colts. Maybe not the Titans. You came coming second in that division. You very may make the playoffs because Titans and Colts are playoff teams. You know, even though I believe the Colts barely missed the playoffs because they lost to the Jaguars. So um, I, I, I thought Doug Peterson was probably the best hire. Number two, I was going to say Josh McDaniels with him and David Carr. I, I think that's what uh, the car really needed. So, but uh, I'm going to go with Doug Peterson as hire. Interesting. Kyle, what about you? I think that it's really hard to, to tell, right? Because, because none of these guys for the most part, uh, they've had some experience in other places, but nobody's really had a track record of, of any tremendous success with the exception of Doug Peterson. But then he's taking over arguably the worst situation, right? In Jacksonville, which is just a complete mess at this time. And Sean, I like your analysis. You know, a good coaching staff can do a lot. And, and not only a good coaching staff, but when we talk about the likes of a Tennessee Titans, and we talk about the likes of a, a Indianapolis Colts, Something that those teams both have in common is that everything is right on those teams with the exception of the quarterback. And that's huge. You know, that was a, that was a huge deterrent upon the Colts being a way better team than they were and missing the playoffs. And that was a huge reason why the Bengals are sitting here in the, the Super Bowl is because Ryan Tannehill gifted three beautiful balls to the Bengals defense that were just awful throws on each and every one because of quarterback play and quarterback decision. But I think that the, the position with the highest upside, I think when you break it down, and, and this is banking on a lot here, but, but just to be different, is I think it's got to be Nathaniel Hackett. And it come, for me, it's Nathaniel Hackett because of who's tied to Nathaniel Hackett. If you get Aaron Rodgers, that's automatically the win. That's automatically the win because no matter what people want to argue, that team is going to have a better record than any other team that we're talking about right now that got a new head coach. That's just a bottom line fact. Again, they're playing in a tight division. You got Justin Herbert, you got Derek Carr, you got uh, Patrick Mahomes. But with that stellar defense, and we see they got some skill players on that team just not being utilized right in a proper offensive system, just not being utilized right because they don't necessarily have the elite quarterback play that Aaron Rodgers would bring to the table. Which Javante Williams in his first year rookie running back is a great running back. Absolutely trucks people. You look at that receiving core. I think that's just a ticking time bomb waiting to explode because of the fact that they got so much talent on that offense. The problem is, is that nobody can solidify who can do what because they don't have the right play call in there. But a quarterback will break that trend for you, and Aaron Rodgers will be that guy to do so because we see what Aaron Rodgers. Everybody likes to complain about the weapons that he's had in Green Bay. What weapons did they add this offseason, guys, on the offense that did anything? Absolutely nothing, but you know what? Still probably going to win the MVP, right? I mean, you got Devontae Adams. That's a don't get me wrong. Phenomenal player. Outside of him, what did the Green Bay Packers do? They had Randall Cobb, but he got hurt midway through the season. Alan Lazard stepped up. But they lost Tanya. Marquise Valdez-Scantling, they lost Tanya midway through the season. When you have a great quarterback, it brings out the greatness in his skill players. And that will do that in Denver if he lands there. So to say that Nathaniel Hack will be the best one, I think it's riding on a lot, obviously. But being that, I think that's a more likely situation – in terms of success rate than probably any other coach here that we're looking at right now, I would say that's probably the guy for me. James, 
Who do you got? So we got one for Hackett, one for Peterson. I'm going to go with some Daniels to Vegas. You know, I, I, I liked what Sean said earlier that Derek Carr just needs somebody to kind of help him. The, the last season, the last few seasons, it's been a bumpy road for him between in Oakland playing on a baseball field, then going to Vegas, and then in this brand-new stadium that looks like that's phenomenal out there, to then – having his head coach that signed for him pretty much for his career for 10 years gets, nope, you're gone. Sorry, you can't even coach anymore. Gets yanked out from under him. Goes as far as he does this season to have an interim head coach that's on the team that actually did pretty well, in my opinion, stepping up and taking the team and helping Carr evolve more. By having McDaniels, I think it's just only going to help Derek Carr excel. You're going to see that Vegas team take two to three steps forward this year. You're not going to see them fall back. They're in a correct mind space of everything. Yes, they had injuries. Their number one wide receiver had that incident. You know, they were plagued with different incidents throughout the season. But having McDaniels come in, kind of like fresh start, is only going to help Carr and the rest of that young team to excel where next year – they might be a quiet team that makes a run that a lot of people may not be looking into. I like that pick, James, because the Raiders were the only playoff team that got a new head coach. Obviously, yeah. Rich Basaccia is headed to be the special teams coordinator yeah. for the Green Bay Packers. Now, what started this trend, especially this offseason? There are five new head coaches, all these offensive minds being hired as head coaches. Everybody wants the next Sean McVay. Mm -hmm. My pick is centered around this, and you all know who it already is. It's Kevin O'Connell for the Minnesota Vikings, and here's why. You have two outstanding receivers in Jefferson and Thielen. You have Kirk Cousins, who just made it to the Pro Bowl. I still think he can be a top-10 quarterback in this league, especially with that receiving core. They were missing their starting tight end all season long, and they have a top three to four running back in Dalvin Cook, right? And the defense improved in year number two of this new scheme. They lost a couple players. They lost Jeff Gladney, but they still have they have Dalvin Tomlinson. They have Eric Kendricks. They have Harrison Smith. They, they've developed Cameron Dantzler to a decent corner. But O'Connell followed McVay. He was with McVay in Washington in 2017, uh, or he took over for McVay. He was the quarterback's coach. Then he eventually got promoted to Washington's offensive coordinator in 2019. And now he's been with the Rams ever since. I think he's the most similar to McVay due to his connection with him. And McVay in five years of being a head coach in the NFL has been to two Super Bowls all already. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like Kevin O'Connell as the best hire here for Minnesota. And what's crazy is he's probably the least known out of all of these new head coaches. Nobody really knows, but everybody knows Doug Peterson. A lot of people have known Mike McDaniel over the last couple of weeks with the Debo Samuel stuff. You know, he's really a guy that not many people know about. So I'm going to go with Kevin O'Connor. Plus the, the Vikings are my closet team. So <laughs> there was some bias in that pick. Uh, but um, 
man. Sean, I want to get your thoughts on Alvin Kamara before we kind of move on to your New Orleans Pelicans because we're about to talk some NBA trade deadline stuff as well because there's a lot going down even today. But um, my goodness, um, Dennis Allen's walked himself into some trouble. Obviously, you know, the, the issues with Michael Thomas, but Alvin Kamara, man, I mean, this guy is such a good running back, such a good receiving running back as well. He's your do-it-all player on offense. He is pretty much the catalyst of this football team. What was your reaction when you heard that news, and how concerned are you heading into next season? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say y'all came up with some great explanations on each of them coaches. Like I was like, wow, I was kind of impressed. Like I liked each of what y'all had to say, and each 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 points y'all had was excellent points. But um, Alvin Kamara, when I first heard the news, uh, I was disappointed. Not in him, just like like the situation is very understandable. Like it, it's not uncommon. Um, he's not that type of person. Uh, obviously, this is uh, this is a heckler they were dealing with, and maybe the guy deserved it. Who knows? But you know, there's a point where he did go too far, and when you go too far, there's consequences to pay for that. So when I first heard the news, I was like, damn it, man. The Saints can't get away with any drama. The Saints always go through drama each month. Like, there's always something new with the Saints. And it's crazy that it's not just Saints fans noticing this. This is this is this is NFL-wide. People know the Saints go through stuff every single month. Like, like, we could, it's not even football season, and the Saints are, uh, you know, doing something that causes them to get in trouble. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just crazy, and, and, and it's going to suck because I think he's going to get about six to eight game suspension because obviously he admitted to it. I mean, and, and I don't know if y'all seen the guy's face, but <laughs> he beat the crap out of the guy. Like, the guy is, is pretty brutally beat up. So I mean I he's I don't know man I, it's it's a dicey situation and and you know it just all depends on if he's gonna go to court or not if he's gonna pay the guy off where he drops all the charge it just depends but I I don't know it's it's real dicey situation and I I've said this on Twitter and on my show the Saints need a fest into a number two running back. Well, that need, I feel like, has become a bigger need now because you might not see Kamara for a majority of the season. Like you just said, Tom, he's our best offensive player. So, I mean, um, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see, and I think we're going to have to find a running back replacement. I like Cordell Patterson. He, I think he would fit in like a glove, but – Obviously, he's not as good. Alvin Kamara, I like what he did with the Falcons, but if you're talking about all-purpose running back, I feel like Cordell Patterson could fit that. But it, it just sucks, and and that's why I said Dennis Allen was probably a must-hire because stuff like this happens all the time to the Saints. A new coach, especially a first-time head coach, to deal with all this mess, I don't know. I don't think they could handle it. 
Yeah, and I want to get to this comment now. Kyle, I'll turn to you here. Do you think this is a Ray Rice situation? What do you think the extremity of this is, or do we have to wait for more details to come out? Because right now, I mean, Kamara is such a high-profile player that I feel like the NFL is not going to ban him forever. I mean, sadly, these are the rules, right? I mean, this is just how it goes. They, they, they've given Antonio Brown way too many chances to come back into the, into the league, you know? So that's really uh, something I, I, I've been pondering about the last day or so. It's, it, listen, it's going to be interesting to see what unfolds. It seems like uh, with news like this, sometimes details break day in and day out and leading up to it, we'll see what happens. Again, it's a, it's a really it's it's an awful situation what occurred, and, and no excuse for 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 what did occur. Um, and again, Sean, you're talking about six eight game suspension. I read somewhere that he could face five years in prison. Uh, so six six to eight his six to eight games suspended that would be a a, a blessing in disguise when we, when you when you hear the likes of facing five years of imprisonment. But again, we we got to see what unfolds, um, and what essentially happens because we don't know. Right, it just happened. I think it happened the same day of the Pro Bowl, the night of the Pro Bowl. It was after so, the Pro Bowl. So we gotta, we just have to see what happens um, with this team. And Sean, like you alluded to as well, just a really unfortunate situation for for a coach to be uh, taking over this team and to to really have nobody now on this team to to to, to really help the transition be easier. Because who do you point to? Let alone on the defense, who do you point to on the offense to really help the movement of of getting wins in today's day and age in the NFL? No quarterback, no number one receiver, and now more likely than not, no running back either. So, really, really bad situation. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen in this NFC South next year. I mean, whatever happens with Kamara, will anybody follow Brady? Will Bruce Arians step down? I mean, if Bruce Arians stepped down, you could argue Arthur Smith might be the best coach on the NFC South. I mean, the Falcons overachieved a little bit this year. They won seven, eight games, so – who knows right now? I'm not entirely sure. So, uh, Sean, any final thoughts on the Saints here before we move on to the NBA trade deadline talk? Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that uh, it, it's going to be a real tough situation for the Saints, but um, yeah. I, I don't think it's anything that we can't overcome. You know, if you, if you bring in a guy like Jameis Winston back, I, I think that would be a good step. Uh, I thought – he showed some maturity as a leader, something you did not see in Tampa. And obviously he has the talent. You wouldn't be a number one overall pick for nothing. Um, he has the arm talent. Now, if you if you get Michael Thomas healthy, which well, I've heard he's he's ready to go. He's gonna be ready to go by the season. You might see him in the preseason. He's going to be ready to go, and I have no doubts he's going to ball out. I just, unless there's a freak injury like an ACL or something like that, I, I just don't see him downgrading to what he was before when he was healthy. I think he's a top five wide receiver, and I think he will stay as a top five wide receiver. The biggest question marks for me for the Saints is the offensive line. I just losing Terrence Armstead is going to be huge. Uh, do you move Ryan Ramchek to left tackle? I think you do. You're going to have to find a new right tackle. Caesar Ruiz, probably one of the worst guards in all of the NFL, which is weird because his rookie year, he wasn't half bad. He wasn't good, but he wasn't bad. I just don't understand how he could be that bad in year two after having a better season rookie year. He must be pretty like, bad. He was bad. He's making and, James uh, yawn. <laughs> that's how bad he is. 
He he made Eric McCoy look bad, and Eric McCoy's <laughs> one of the best centers in the league because Eric McCoy's having to cover everything Luis is missing on the right side. Yeah. So I mean, Pete, you know, uh, you're gonna have to keep Pete. I, I know he's. Oh yeah. He's, he's a very up and down guy. He's a guy that fans forgot about because Luis was so bad. People used to say Pete was bad. Now they have forgot about Pete. They think Pete is now a good left guard compared to what we have at right guard season release. So that right side of the offensive line is going to have some huge question marks. And that, I think that's where it starts. I think yeah. if you get Jameis Winston some time where he's not running for his life, like he was against Tampa Bay where he tore his ACL and Devin white with the 30 hit hit. But if he give him some time, Jameis Winston can find anybody, no matter who the wide receiver is. I'm just saying he's shown that at Tampa he was a big guy with Adam Humphreys. He targeted him in the slot a lot. Cameron Bray, you know, it, he hit a guys like that all the time. It wasn't always just Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know. So, I mean, he could find guys in the wide receiver field. I, I, I know we got Deontay Harris. He's your speedster. Yep. Callaway, I, I think he would improve to men, tremendously when he's not going to be the number one wide receiver. He struggled. Because he was a number one wide receiver. He was getting a lot of number one coverage. He's not good enough to be a number one wide receiver. You put Michael Thomas on her side, you got a better number two. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just saying yeah. it, it's, it's just something they're going to have to do some work now. They're going to do some work. I'm not worried about the cap. We always finesse the cap every year. Sooner, sooner down the road, we're going to have to pay for it. I understand that. But I'm not worried about the cap. I think we can if, if we want a certain player in free agency, we can go get him. So um, we just got to make room. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how the offseason plays. Uh, I have tremendous faith in Dennis Allen. We'll see what happens. 100% correct on Winston, by the way. He can find anybody on the football field, whether it's his team or whether it's the opposing team. So, you know, he's always finding guys on the field. So You got me there. You can always always count on that. But without further ado – Let's switch gears here. The NBA trade deadline. What is it, Kyle? Friday? This this weekend? Something like that? No, it's, it's Thursday up. tomorrow at 3. Oh, okay. Well, we're in the meat of the NBA trades and the biggest deal. I mean, the first deal that was a bombshell deal, Karis LeVert being dealt to the Cavaliers from the Indiana Pacers. There were two teams in particular that sold their whole team this deadline. It was the Pacers and the Portland Trailblazers. And first, we're going to talk about the Pacers. Karis LeVert to the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team right now, they're in the top five in the East. They're with Kyle's Heat. They're with my Bucks. I mean, they're up there. Uh, they're a scary basketball team. Their backcourt in Garland and Sexton has developed quite nicely. The trade details are LeVert in a 2022 second-round pick to the Cavs for Ricky Rubio, 2022 protected first-round pick, and two future second-rounders. So do we like this trade for Cleveland? I think it definitely bolsters their starting unit. I think it's an awesome trade for Cleveland. Like, if if you look at it, that guard tandem is going to be fantastically underrated for for years to come. Garland is is just now getting recognition, getting named as an all-star. Karis LeVert – Guys, we know what he's done when he was with the Brooklyn Nets and obviously in that big trade just a year ago for James Harden. And he's been kind of quiet with the Indiana Pacers in the in the lone year, year and a half that he was with the team. But still a guy that I think he's averaging like 18 points per game right now. Solid, solid guard play. 
And then you look at the combination of that starting five right now. That's if, if they have a healthy starting five, that's a Garland, that's a Karis Levert, that's a Laurie Markkinen, that's a Evan Mobley and a Jared Allen. So you got three seven foot monsters. Who Jared Allen and Evan Mobley is is already become probably one of the best front courts in all, all of basketball because nothing gets past them. It seems like essentially their defense is phenomenal. Laurie Markkinen is a stretch forward can shoot from anywhere on the court. His biggest problem is health. That's been the biggest problem throughout his entire entirety of his career, even with Chicago. But you look at that, you look at that uh, backcourt now, that's a nice backcourt. And then you look at the bench depth as well. You got Isaac Quaro, who's just a top five lottery pick just a couple years back. You got Colin Sexton, who unfortunately towards ACL won't be back this year, but we'll see what happens. He's going to be some uh, solid guard play off the bench. But Tom, like you alluded to it as well, it keeps you competitive. We saw them try to replace Ricky Rubio with a Rajon Rondo earlier in the year. That fer- that experiment failed miserable. It, it failed miserable. But now you're replacing that essentially again. You're not going to get the defensive caliber play that you were planning on getting with Rajon Rondo. You're not going to get the floor passing vision that you were getting with Ricky Rubio and a Rondo. But you're replacing that with tremendous offense that Karis Levert brings, and it and it alleviates some of the pressure off of da- uh, Darius Garland as well to make more open shots for him and for them to bounce off each other and to have their games flourish. So I think it's a great trade for the Cleveland Cavaliers for further solidifies themselves as a contender. And for the Pacers, again, they got a, they got a first round pick and a, they got a Ricky Rubio who again, probably won't be playing for them. I don't know what his contract was when he signed with Cleveland, but probably will be a buyout candidate, if not a free agent because of the torn ACL. But I just don't like the fact that the Pacers kind of gave up on Levert. Like you, you, you traded for this guy. He's so young, only 25 years old, guys, I believe. And this could have been a solid player when you really break down this Pacers roster, especially with the mindset of you knew you were going to get rid of a DeMontis Sabonis, another young player kind of gave up on. A Malcolm Brogdon is great when he's healthy. He's just never healthy, and he's an older player as well, I think turning 30 this year. It's like you want to talk about a rebuild, that should have been one of the pieces you keep in a rebuild. Youth, not making any big money. He's under contract, but not making any big-time money. That's a player you should build around, not a player that you should be trading, let alone the first trade that you make is your youthful star. So I don't like it for the Pacers. I love it for the Cleveland Cavaliers. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a great move by the Cavaliers. And you said they were uh, – you know, did you say they were top five in the East right now, right? Yeah, yeah, think they're fifth. yeah, yeah, and you know, and you brought up a great point, Kyle. I mean, what how good the Cavs would be if they were completely healthy? You know, if Colin Section was was healthy, Ricky Rubio coming off the bench for Garland and Sexton, you know, and the pair with you know, Mobley marketing, and then Jared Allen, who. You know, I don't know. Did he did he make the All Star team? I don't think he did. No, he, uh, no, he. I don't think he. I don't believe he made the All Star team as a reserve. I'm not. I'm not sure, certain upon that. But another guy I forgot to mention, Sean. Throw it back to you. Nobody's talking about the resurgence of Kevin Love. Like Kevin Love has been unbelievable off the bench as as a veteran mm-hmm. presence for this team. But continue, Sean. No, you you are exactly right, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because dude's averaging 15 points off off the bench and that's huge for the cavaliers that's something you haven't seen out of kevin love for a long time you know probably since since lebron was there you know so i mean i I think the Cavs are a real threat in the playoffs and they're a sleeper team and garland and and levert you know 
a, a new duo. They kind of remind me of how Kyle Laurie and DeMar DeRozan was in Toronto. I thought, I think those are two similar players. Those are two similar duos, you know, you know, not, not overly great perimeter players, but they can, they can go anywhere on the court and create a shot and make offense happen. Garland does a good job of setting others up, averaging almost nine assists a game. So, I mean, Garland, I feel like highly benefit from the Sexton injury. I don't think Sexton really fit in with the caps. So I think the revert pushes them into a real fret in the East. I could see him going to the second round. You know, they could upset a team who knows. Absolutely. Um, I think it is very possible. And now the the next trade we're going to talk about that also involves the Indiana Pacers is DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, James will get that up here. Sabonis, Lamb, and Holiday being shipped to the Kings for Tyrese Halliburton and others. I believe Halliburton was just picked this past year. Um, So Sabonis again. 2020. Okay, yeah. Uh, Sabonis, another young player who – has been around the NBA for a while. Started with the Thunder, sent to Indiana, and now he's headed to Sacramento. This trade was a little head-scratcher to me because are the Kings ready to compete? Because I feel like you only deal Sabonis to a team that's ready, right? A team that has a missing piece that needs a guy like him. Why is Sabonis a Sacramento King? feel bad for him. I, I don't think, like, when people break down this trade, everybody jumps the gun and says, like, Oh, this was such a dumb trade by the Kings. I never thought this, uh, not never, ever scratched my mind. The only person that I thought this was bad for was DeMontis Sabonis. Because when we, want, when we bring up the word underrated, I feel like it's used a lot with everybody. This guy embodies the word underrated. He's the most underrated player in the entire NBA. There, it's not even an argument. He is an all-star, 19 points per game, 12 rebounds per game. Search up his contract right now, for those of you that don't know. He has the best contract for the play that you get out of him in the entire NBA, and he's 25 years old. If you break down the Western Conference right now, if you look at the all-star starting lineup where you have Steph Curry, John Morant, Andrew Wiggins, LeBron James, and Nikola Jokic, you move LeBron to the small forward, and guess who's the power forward starting in the all-star team right now for the Western Conference if he was already traded to Sacramento Kings? It's DeMontis Sabonis. This is an all-star caliber player under a – Beautiful, beautiful. I kid you not. Look it up. Beautiful contract for the next couple of years. 25 years old, has been good everywhere that he's gone, and now he's easily the best player that the Aaron Fox has ever had to play with in his four years with the Sacramento Kings. Now you look at it from the Pacers' perspective as well because people are saying, oh, they stole Tyrese Halliburton. What a steal. Don't get me wrong. Tyrese Halliburton's a terrific player, but he's only a second-year player. Sabonis is proven. You know what you're getting in him. 20 and 12. You're getting 20 and 12, an all-star, terrific contract. That's an all-star that can go along with a De'Aaron Fox and fit rather nicely and maybe even play in a system next to a Rashawn Holmes, which is a terrific, uh, not only defensive, but rebounding unit now for the Sacramento Kings in the front court. And then you look at the back court now, and now that allows you with the trade of Tyrese Halliburton, although I don't think they should have moved him, they did it anyway, it allows Davion Mitchell and that pick to get up into the starting lineup to play with the Aaron Fox and see what you have there. 
Now with the Pacers, again, they get a nice score piece, off-ball player, terrific shooter, great all-around player. I know a lot of Nick fans were sad that they didn't draft him and said they drafted Obi Toppin. Give it a chance, Nick fans. But yeah. Tyrese Halliburton, <laughs> that's a nice piece for the Pacers. The only reason why I don't like it for the Pacers is because of the amount of guard depth that they have on that team. Like, it makes no sense unless you're planning on getting rid of everybody. Like, I'm talking you got to get rid of the Malcolm Brogdon contract. You got to get rid of TJ McConnell. You got to, well, you know, are you planning on pairing up uh, Chris Duarte with a Tyrese Halliburton as a, as a backcourt of the future? You know, that's decisions that they'll have to make. I just don't like it because I don't know what the paces are right now. And I don't like it because I'm a big Sabonis fan. And I know that as much as we like to talk about the tandem that could be, is there's still Sacramento. You know, it's a team, Tom, like you alluded to, you only make this trade if you're competing. This is a team that's not even, you know, barely completing, competing for a playing spot, let alone a NBA title. So that's where I don't like it. I, I don't think it hurts either side. But I think when you break it down, this is how I break down trades. Who got the best proven player? And that was the Sacramento Kings. And, I, and I, so that's why I think that they won it. And that's why I like it for them more so than I do like it for the Pacers. Yeah, Sean, do you like Sabonis? Or are, you, are you a Sabonis guy? I am, but he couldn't have gone to a worse team. I mean, just like Kyle said, I mean, it's... It's terrible, man. I know, and, and honestly, you know, and you brought up good points, Kyle, but honestly, Tyrese Halliburton, I'm very high on this guy. And, and I don't think, even for Sabonis, because I just don't think the Kings are at that level to compete for even a play in spot, even with Sabonis. I I just think, you know, if you were the Kings, I think you should have traded Fox. You know, let Fox leave. It, it sh- I think it's known that maybe he's kind of wanting out. You know, Buddy Hield's been wanting out of Sacramento. Marvin Bagley's been wanting out. I mean, these are guys that they have had for a few years, young guys that – has hated the culture of Sacramento. I think they could have rebuilt that with Tyrese Halliburton. He's going to be a future multi all-star in the future. I really do. This is a guy that's shooting 41% on five attempts for two years straight, averaging 14 points a game. And I know that's not crazy. You know, we've seen better, but he has shown a lot of potential. And I think him and Brogdon, I don't even think you have to get rid of Brogdon. You could probably go three guards in the starting lineup. Brogdon, Halliburton, and Dorte. You know, or you could just have one of them come off the bench. I, I think that's great guard play. You know, you still got Turner. Not too sure if he's a free agent next year or not. I'm not too sure. I don't know how his contract's detailed. I don't know if they're still gonna want to move him because I know he was a he's a guy they they wanted to move. They've been wanting to move Turner for the last three years now. They still haven't. So I think Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that Rick Carlisle is going to love to build around for the future. I think he's going to be a true star to build around. And I I just don't think the Kings should have gave that up for him, knowing that you're fighting the the inedible that you're you're probably going to trade Fox soon. I'm just saying Fox is going to want out soon. You're going to end up trading him. I I think you should have just went ahead and ripped the Band-Aid and do it. Build around Halliburton. I think he's that good. And you, you like you said, Kyle, they drafted Mitchell. You know, you, you could afford to move on from Fox because you had a, a guard that you drafted this year as a rookie that also has good potential. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's the Kings. Um, it's, it's just 
you know, the Kings, it's weird. I think they have one of the best names in the NBA, the Kings. I think it's a cool name. And I like their colors. Like, uh, their jerseys are all right. They're, they're basic. But they, Sean, they is that all they got going for them? You know? Sean, is that all they got going for them? <laughs> that's, it. that's bad when that's the only thing they got going for them. It's rough. It's, it's rough out there to play in Sacramento. But there are two more trades I want to go over. Um, and we'll save Sean's Pelicans for last. But next up, the Portland Trailblazers were another team that sold out this trade deadline. They sent Norman Powell and Robert Covington to the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, what are our thoughts on these acquisitions for the Clippers? And what does this mean for Portland and Damian Lillard? Sean, we'll start with you here on this one. Well, there's no – I mean – People want to look at what they gave up. Obviously, they're trying trying to get back under the tax. They're trying to build up as much cap as possible where they can retool around Damian Lillard. My thing is they're going to have to do it now. They can't wait till next season to do so. They're going to have to use what they gain just now in these trades to go out and retool around Dame this offseason. I don't know how quick they're going to be able to do that. Maybe they – make some more trades. I don't know who else they could trade. Maybe you'll see uh, their center. I can't pronounce his name. Uh, yeah, before the deadline, because I know his contract's expiring. Maybe you'll see him on the move as well. Maybe they'll get some type of value, get some more assets to trade away. So, um, and you've seen where they, they, they traded some of the pieces from New Orleans to the Jazz, and they got Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles is obviously going to be a guy like Ricky Rubio, who's going to be a buyout cut because i believe his contract was expiring so they're just gaining more cap just to retool Uh, but for the clippers i think this was huge for the clippers norman powell is 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 a great addition he has been underrated and we just said we use underrated a lot but it's true a lot of players are underrated they don't get as much yeah a championship he's been averaging 18 points a game for the past what three or four seasons and i haven't seen more of an even trade then I did this past offseason, uh, the Gary Trent uh, trade and, and Norman Powell. That was such an even trade because both guys are similar in points and they both are doing well. I just think maybe this is enough to maybe put the Clippers over the edge. I don't know what the Kawhi situation is. Is he still hurt? I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, they, this is something the Clippers needed to compete in the playoffs. I mean, Robert Covington, he's, he's no slouch. He's going to be a nice addition off the bench. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it was just obvious that the, the, the Blazers are just trying to retool and get us gain as much cap. Absolutely. Also, there was a three team trade today that took place. Kyle, uh, Joe Ingles went to the trailblazers. I don't know what the specifics were in that for Utah, but uh, just your quick thoughts on this trade with the Clippers and, why Utah would send Joe Ingles out to the Blazers? I know Ingles is done for the year with the ACL injury. So it was a it was a three team trade. So uh, part of the pieces that they got from the Pelicans yesterday, like a Thomas Sadaransky went to the Spurs, the uh, Nikel Walker Alexander Alexander Walker uh, went to Utah, and Joe Ingles winds up getting flipped to Portland. But he's never going to play a game for them because he's a free agent after this year, and he and he tore his ACL, so he wasn't going to play a game for them anyway. When we're talking about the Powell and Covington trade, I think this might be one of the dumbest trades I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, you know, usually when you break down a trade, there's going to be a team that gets the better player, and you're going to say, oh, it wasn't fair because that team got the better player. They got nothing 
for, for Norman Powell and Robert Covington, two starters in a lot of NBA lineups. You, you gave up Norman Powell, who, when you look at Portland, when you take Damian Lillard away because he had an abdominal surgery a month ago, he's probably your best player. For, forget about even CJ, because CJ missed a lot of time this year. He's your best player offensively. And Robert Covington, and, and, I, and if you tune into the Alec Walt show, you'll see that I use this term as well. No pun intended. He's arguably been the most coveted free agent, uh, not free agent, trade acquisition the last couple years. Why? Because defensively, he's a beast. Again, he's not going to kill you in the point section, but reboundings, he's a dominant player. Defense, he's a dominant player. And he's a, he's a wing-type player that can shoot not, a, not so great, but decent enough to be in a starting lineup or a nice role player off the bench. You got Eric Bledsoe, who is on an awful contract. And, and Sean, you're talking about getting under the cap. I don't think adding Eric Bledsoe, who's making $20 million next year, helps you if you're Portland at all. You got Justice Winslow, who in 12 minutes per game with the Clippers was averaging four points. He's a free agent and making no money anyway, so it doesn't make any sense. And Keon Johnson out of Tennessee was a rookie this year but hasn't proven anything. And then they got a second-round pick to go with it. This is Norm, Norman Powell. I don't know what your guys' assessment of him is, but I thought this package looks like you can get a first round and maybe a couple seconds or a first round and a solid prospect. You're telling me you got that out of that trade if you're Portland? They got zero. Uh, Sean, you were talking about the, the likely compare. Think about it like this. You traded Norman Powell for what you assessed as a fair trade with Gary Trent. We've seen what Gary Trent Jr. is doing in Toronto. He's doing great things in that lineup for Toronto. You flipped that same guy for nobody, uh, one of the worst contracts in the NBA, a free agent and a rookie who hasn't proven anything yet. That's what you got for Dan. That's what, if you're Portland, that's how you're helping Damian Lillard out? Well, Awful. Well, uh, Eric Bledsoe, I believe his contract is portable ne- next season, so uh, he's not going to be a Blazer next year. Even if it is, even if it is voidable. Point being is that you got no prospects in return, mm-hmm. and you got no picks in return for two for two of your best what two of your best five players at this point in time. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Isn't that contract our contract that we signed them to, Eric? Ble- yeah. That you guys are talking—that's our yep. contract, right? Yeah, from the Milwaukee that's Bucks. Hysterical. He's been again. He's been traded all over the place the last couple of years. People forget he was with the Pelicans for a short stint, uh, the Grizzlies for a short stint. Uh, now with the Clippers for half a season. Now going to be with the Blazers for half a season. There's a reason why is because the production in which he's playing at doesn't pan out with the contract. And Sean, even if it is voidable, how do you trade away? What you're essentially saying is that. You traded away Norman Powell, a 20-point-per-game scorer, and Robert Covington for nothing will come June because Winslow's a free agent, Bledsow would essentially become a free agent, and Keon Johnson has proven nothing and and a second-round pick. You traded those two players for nothing. And the way I see it, you know, there's one star that's most likely going to be a free agent, and I think he will decline his player option, and that's that's Bradley Bill. And then maybe they're they're trying to build enough – salary cap where they could pay the guy like Bradley Bill because that's the that's the only way I can logically think why they would make these trades. They're building enough cap where they can add a second star that's better than CJ McCullum. And 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 be honest, I, I think Bradley Bill is better than CJ McCullum. And I think that's maybe a guy they could target. I, I just know they're 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 probably gonna look for a second star that's probably gonna cost a lot of money per year. I don't know who that's going to be, but that's the only reason why I think they would make all these trades and and gain all this cat for 
I understand they didn't get anything in return, like not even like picks or anything, but that just shows you how desperate they are to go out and get a second star, maybe someone who's just as good as Dame. I don't know who that's going to be. The closest guy I can get to is Bradley Beal, and he might not even decline his player option. He might accept it and, and sign a max extension. Who knows? But I, I to me, I think they're focusing on a, a star player to pair with Dame, and that's why they're, they're making all these moves just to clear up the cap situation they had. Tough shit for Portland right now. That's what I've got to say. And it got worse. They trade away their second best player, CJ McCollum, to Sean's New Orleans Pelicans, along with Larry Nance Jr. And I believe the third player was Tony uh, Snell. Tony Snell. Yeah, that. Oh, my. Uh, Sean, congrats. I know you're 10 under 500, but with the way the playoff seeding set up now in the NBA, you're the 10th seed and you've won four games in a row. So, is this something that the Pelicans could build upon as far as getting momentum heading into this, you know, pivotal part of the season? I know the all-star breaks coming up and then, you know, you're getting down the stretch there. Yeah. So since that one and 12 start, the Pelicans have been a 500 team. So I think that shows a lot for a first time head coach with the guys he has had to handle with. Uh, especially when B.I. hasn't played every game. He's been, you know, just a tad bit hurt. You know, Jonas Fallon Judas, a guy that nobody really cared about in that Steven Adams trade. Nobody would f- think he would produce those type of numbers and be even better than what he was last year. Um, people just thought he was a guy that we were just trying to dump off Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe for, and we were just going to let Fallon Judas walk in the off season or potentially trade right now, but we did not we signed him an extension. So I, I think uh, this, this move is something I didn't really want the Pelicans to make right now because there was a lot of guys on this team playing hard for Willard green. They played through the s- s- struggle. Josh Hart being one of them playing through the struggle. Um, I don't know. I, this is certainly something set up for the future. This is very similar to how the DeMarcus Cousins trade went down a few years back when the Pelicans traded for him. This was at the trade deadline. You know, the Pelicans weren't in a playoff spot. Now, today's game, like you just said, we're able to play in a play-in tournament. That wasn't the case back then. So, I mean, it's something built for next year. And honestly, if they want to do it that way, I, I just hope that they will continue to go all out and add more pieces because CJ McCollum paired with Sion and BI, which how ridiculous that sounds, which would be a crazy trio. You got to have pieces around them. You already got foul. You got Herb Jones, which he should be one of the candidates to be rookie of the year, by the way. So absolute steal out of the second round, but you know, who else do you got? So, I mean, you're going to have to have a more complete team if you want to go deep in the playoffs. Everybody wants, you know, the Pelicans fans, they haven't seen a playoff game in so long. They're just so desperate, you know, just so desperate. And they were so excited when this trade happened. I just knew that with head coach Willie Green, I just figured we could avoid, you know, 
making a kind of a desperation trade. But for being how good the trade was and what we really didn't – we didn't have to give up much for him. I mean, I I don't think it was a bad trade at all. I just I just want to see the end results. That's that's what I'm going to wait for, and that's pretty much how I'm going to get my real answer based yeah. off this trade. Kyle, you got anything to add on Mr. McCollum heading to Portland? I feel like Travis would know the answers to this. That's who we really got to talk to about this trade because, again – Another trade, it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I don't I don't like this trade for both parties, to be quite honest with you. And, Sean, you kind of brought it up from the Pel- Pelicans' perspective, is that you had some great points, but the key word in that was desperation. And if you're making a desperation move like that, C.J. McCollum is not a desperation-type player. This is a guy that we were seeing just last year in the beginning of this season. It was a guy that could have been a third piece on a uh, championship-caliber team, not a team that's Barely, not even in a playing spot right now and and hasn't had their best player all year round and probably is not going to, at least from what I've heard, is not going to have them for the rest of the year. So we want to talk about build for next season. I understand that. But at the same time, it's like you don't even know what this team is going to look like next year. I mean, CJ McCollum, yes, that's a nice building block, but he's only got another year on his contract. So that's not a building block piece. And then Zion Williamson, same thing. Zion Williamson is already going to be in year what? He's in year two or three right now. Three? I'm pretty sure he's in year three. He's in year three. Year four is coming up next year. That's the money year. Like that, that's the building block year of seeing what you even have because he could potentially, I don't want to wish any voodoo upon you, but that's a guy that could potentially leave too. So I don't understand what the organization is necessarily building for now. We're not talking about a fifth seed in the Western Conference. We're a team we're talking about a team that's not even competing in a play-in right now. We're barely competing in a play-in. What they have twenty wins, something like that, with a, with the likes of a Sacramento Kings who also just made a huge trade yesterday. It doesn't make sense to me. And same thing, same thing as the Powell trade and Covington trade. If you're Portland, I understand the cap space argument, but you know what you could have gotten for these awesome players? You could have gotten draft picks, which is not cap taken up right now. Or you could have gotten some nice rookie players, developmental players, which aren't cap space right now or isn't significant cap space. And I know your argument about bringing cap space so you could bring it in and attract high-profile players. I get that. And this is no knock upon, you know, the team. Who, who's raising their hand, you know, flying on a plane saying, I can't wait to play in Portland? You know, nobody's doing that. This isn't L.A. This isn't Miami. This isn't New York. It's not that same – that doesn't have that same type of atmosphere. If anything, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, if Damian Lillard didn't get hurt with the abdominal surgery, I think he'd be traded. I think he would be traded. I think him being hurt right now is why the team is going in the direction that they're going in because they're saying we want to reshape, we want to do all these things. But come on, who really believes? As much as the Bradley Beal argument sounds nice, I think Bradley Beal, after all that he's gone through with the Wizards for eight, nine years, wants to go to a team that's probably an even worse situation than he's ever been in Washington. It'd just be him and the, him and the, him and Damian Lillard out there in Portland by themselves in in a Western Conference, which is like no other that we haven't seen in years. Every team in the Western Conference is highly competitive, competing for championships. That team's not competing for anything, even if you bring in a Bradley Beal. So I don't I don't like the move for really either team. I don't think it does anything for either team right now, uh, especially for Portland because they got nothing in terms of future. You're banking on uh, essentially you're trading your best players, banking on the fact that. You're going to sign Bradley Beal or high-profile free agents? That's, that's a terrible way of going about things, especially when the city, the state in which you play in is not the most attractive for free agents, as we've seen, right? What high-profile high profile free agent 
has come to Portland because they said they want to play with Dame. Nobody. Because nobody wants to go there. So why is that different now? I don't think that's the case. My only thing with that, they did get three draft picks for the McCollum trade. They did get three draft picks there. And but they, they were second rounders. And I know they got one, one of first, them was first round. It's a lottery protected by the Pelicans, who, no offense, Sean, I don't think that's going to be a pick that you're going to lose. I don't think that's that's I don't think that's going to be a pick that you're going to have to lose sleep overnight. I think the Pelicans are going to be able to keep that. Well, I, I think I think if uh, we lose that pick, if it we we only protected it through picks one through four, and I think only one yeah. through four. I thought it was a top ten pick. My well, I, I think it, it goes to another team, not Portland. If it goes to, um, uh, I don't know who it is. I, I, it might be the Hornets. Not too sure. I'm going to have to look that up. But yeah. it, go, it picks through five through 14, goes to another team. And then I guess if it's not a lottery pick, then it'll go to Portland. Absolutely. So, I, I think the Pelicans will for sure make the play on t- tournament. I don't know about the playoffs. So, I mean, um, I, I think McCullum, B.I., and Sion, if healthy, if healthy, that's the biggest question mark, if healthy. Yeah. Um, it, that's a top six team in the in the West. I'm, I I think if Sion was healthy right now with Bi, uh, they're they're at least in the top eight right now. I, I really think so. Sion is the missing piece right now. It's 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 quite obvious, and and I think he should take his time, do whatever it needs. Just be ready by next season. Be ready by next season. Do not you know do this shit again where you know. Oh, now nah, I'm gonna have another surgery. You know, so the thing is, I don't see him going anywhere because nobody's gonna pass up that huge rookie max extension deal he's gonna get. So after his rookie contract, I, I see him at least in uh, in New Orleans in another at least a year and a half. So I I think they made that CJ McCullum to maximize the youth of Sion Wilson before he does up and leave. So I think you're going to see the Pelicans in the playoffs at least next year, maybe the next season after, depending how you re-sign or how you go about an extension with CJ McCollum. Like I said, Herb Jones has been a huge addition. Jonas has been a huge addition to the team. Those are some great pieces there. You're looking at CJ McCollum at the point. B.I. at the two, Herb, Zion, and Jonas. That's a good starting lineup. We just got to build out that bench. We need to get more depth. What if one of these guys, you know, get injured again? We need somebody to step up. That's something the Pelicans didn't have when they had DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. DeMarcus Cousins went down. We had to go trade out and get Meritage, which, honestly, they were a better team under Meritage, but that's a different conversation for another day. But it's it's just it's just they're gonna have to keep getting more pieces. They're not done yet. They're not done yet. And if if Pelicans of fans are satisfied with CJ McCollum, I don't I don't I don't know what to say to him. I, I just I had a bigger picture in mind, and that bigger picture was you know let's build under Coach Willie Green. Let's keep getting more young prospects like Arab Jones. I don't think I think Sion and Bi is enough to make the playoffs keep building these young guys build you know kind of like a farm system 
then you could trade the house for a star player if you want. If you if you're that close to making you know the finals, the Bucks were able to do it with Giannis. You know, Chris Middleton has been a Bucks guy right this whole career. So I mean, homebred. Those, they didn't they didn't make a big trade until last year before they won the finals for Drew Holiday. So why couldn't the Pelicans do that? Let's like try on and we prove themselves, you know? And, that, and that's why the NBA is unwatchable. There's very few teams like the Milwaukee Bucks that win championships the right way. And on that note, James, I know you and I are going to be You just very, made Tom's day, Sean. You just made it. Yeah. James and I are going to be very, very busy tomorrow on social media updating all these trades, James. So I'm mm-hmm. sure our, our thumbs are ready to get to work. So. <laughs> Stretching them out right now, boys. Um, Sean, anything you want to add before we let you go? Maybe plug in off the dome one more time. Obviously, the three of us really appreciate you joining us here tonight and taking the time to talk about your lovely town of New Orleans. Oh, you did, Sean, you're muted right now, man. Muted, Sean. Sorry. Um, you're good. You're now good. you're good. I always mute. Um, I always mute it just in case, so I won't, you know, create any, you know, s- side noises. Anyways, all good. Thank you for having me on. I, it's been an honor to come on this show. Um, if you need me, I'll come on at any time. Um, but yeah, you can you can follow off the dome sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and um, that's pretty much it. That, that's all I got to say. Just really grateful that uh, for having me on. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Yeah, no problem. Anytime you want to come back, we'd love to have you back on. But, Sean, appreciate you as always, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you. See you all later. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. All right. That was Sean Militello from Off the Dorm. Off the, I keep saying Off the Dorm. I, that's the off third the time dome, I've, I've dome. done yeah, Off the dome. dome. I know it's Off the Dome, but Off the Dome Sports. Uh I have this Stack Malloy game on in the background as I'm watching. So I'm a little sidetracked right now. But uh, last couple things of the evening. The Nets suck. They're 29-25. and 25, Wrong record. Uh, they're so bad we forgot to update it. Uh, James, Brooklyn is not hot right now. I don't care what you say. I know yeah. you go there on Christmas Eve. Um Maybe you should stop doing that and give them. Some well, good no, 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 uh-uh, no, 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 no. That, that's when I see my family. I have a good time. Uh, uh-uh, no, wait, no. Look, you know what the Nets need to do? They need, they need to, to take a team dinner to Spumoni Gardens. That's what I they agree. need to do. I think, Tom. I think we should join them. Russo, if you haven't had Spumoni Gardens, I'm picking you up and you're coming. I have not. I have so not had some then, old probably. school rule type of food. Yeah, it's good food. Good food. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, but the, the Nets have had the, their big star guys. And, well, either they're injured or one of them can't play because of, everybody knows the reason why. I don't want to touch upon that. But that, that, that team's just – we all had high hopes this season, including we had high hopes for the Knicks. We'll touch upon next. Um, but neither team has stepped up to where we would have thought this season – they would have been going. Um, it's quite an embarrassment for New York fans um, for the basketball world again because you thought one of them or both of them would have been good. Crosstown rivals figuring, battling out. Uh, they're battling out to who has the better losing record. 
well, why do you think most of this panel is not a New York basketball fan? I'll roll with the Nets. I like the Nets. Well, my, my pro team's from Wisconsin. My college, my college team is from Indiana. All Definitely, over the place. Yeah. Just saying. Notre Dame is not all over the place. There's I'm talking about from, uh, from a New, New York, York perspective. I'm talking about New York-wise. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans in New York. Just saying. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans everywhere. I actually saw um, somebody that I know in my college. He's from California, repping some Notre Dame stuff. Really? That's pretty yeah. cool. Look, they're Brooklyn, trash. Brooklyn stinks. <laughs> they're still the favorites to win the finals on on DraftKings, which is alarming. Um, oh, James, Kyrie was... doesn't want to be there. Um, not Kyrie, Harden. Not Harden. Harden. Sorry. Well, Kyrie can't be there. Well, still. he, he um, can't be. Well, I know. Home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. not going to get into the mandates no, yeah. and stuff, but um, yeah. The Knicks are – they're much worse. They're much worse. And last year they clearly benefited from all the injuries to these star players that were going down. They're seven games below five hundred. Julius Randle is probably the streakiest big man in the league. He can go off for 30 points and then he could give you like seven in 35 minutes, which is absolutely pathetic. And uh, you know what? The Knicks are the most overrated team in the NBA. Every, everybody's saying this team, okay, maybe the Lakers are. I, again, I, I, I don't know because I don't watch much NBA at the moment, but the Knicks were primed to make the playoffs again this year. Were they, though? Were they, though? Well, My biggest fact. thing with them, and Tommy kind of alluded to it, was that they benefited off the fact that they had to try every single night while other teams got to bench their starters, and that's why they were able to reach a fourth seed. Now, when you have an offseason of uh, new faces, yeah. look at the teams that improved this year, right? You got a full season Bulls. of James Harden. You got mm-hmm. the Charlotte Hornets improving. You got the Chicago Bulls. I said it. I said it. They were going to be a sick team. And with the exception <laughs> of some injuries, they'd still probably be at number one. You got the Milwaukee Bucks defending champs. You got the Miami Heat. You got the Philadelphia 76ers, who are probably one big move away, maybe even coming tomorrow, <laughs> from being solidified as one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Toronto's no slouch. Atlanta's been disappointing, but New York, again, they did nothing in the offseason when you really break it down. The people were high on a Kemba Walker. I was too because I wanted the story to be there, and I thought that it was, and it has not panned out at all. Evan Fournier, horrible, horrible signing, terrible signing, $20 million a year for a guy that's played like three good games this year. Very bad contract, making 20 mil each year for the next three years. I don't know how you trade that. I will say this, though. I don't know if the Knicks stay quiet at tomorrow's deadline. You talked about Julius Randle. I think that's a piece that could get traded because the Knicks have to make a splash. If they want to save this season or do anything with this year, they're going to have to move somebody. And because of the amount of pieces on their team that don't necessarily have that star studded trade value, because I don't outside of RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, maybe uh, Mitchell Robinson, if they want to give up on Mitchell Robinson, what are you trading on the New York Knicks roster that is going to get you anything in return Randall. of any substance? Probably not that much. So I think that Randall is a piece that probably could go maybe with a package of Alec yeah. Burke or something like that to bring in something to maybe save this season a little bit. Because ever since what happened in the media stint with Randall, Randall's not been the same. He's yeah. not been the same player. And I don't know if it's based out of frustration. He's had a couple good nights the last couple nights. 
but this is like the West Coast trip that's that's killing them. Mm-hmm. The only chance on this trip, uh, how many games have they lost in a row, guys? Like six or seven? It's been bad. Yeah, they've lost. The, their their only their only hope to kind of break this drought is to beat Portland, who seems to be tanking as we speak in the next couple of days. But yeah, it's 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 been bad for both New York teams, really bad. They could use a guy like Doug on their roster. Um, they could sign know. me up. I'll play. I'll hit well, like one of like fifty. Well, I, I'm being serious. Like they they were a much better team when when they had a guy named Doug on their roster yeah. back in 2017. Doug McDermott, quality bench player for the, for the Knicks. <laughs> Uh, that was the Jeff Hornacek era when they were led by Kristaps Porzingis. And Porzingis having more success than the Knicks. So Knicks fans can eat that. Uh, go Bucks. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> speaking so of game of the week, Bucks at Suns tomorrow night. Milwaukee traveling to Phoenix. Uh, I'll never forget. The NBA Finals last year, everybody's saying Suns in four. Quickly, game three comes along. It changes to Bucks in six. What happens, ladies and gentlemen? The Bucks win in six games. Giannis Antetokounmpo, not 49-piece, not 51-piece. Give me a 50-piece chicken nugget from Chick-fil-A. Giannis dropped a 50-piece on that Phoenix Suns defense. My gosh. I mean, I don't know who on Phoenix could guard this man. I mean, DeAndre Ayton's good, but, I mean, he's he's not going to hold. I, I know they have a – yeah, Cameron Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. They're nice role players to the complement of Paul and Booker. But um, Phoenix, didn't they – oh, no, they ended up beating Utah last night. But that was a close game, and they don't have – they don't have angles anymore. Um, you know, they – they don't have as much depth as Milwaukee does. And now that DiVincenzo is back healthy, you got Wesley Matthews back. This is a very, very this is a very winnable game for Milwaukee. And if they win this game, there's a good chance they finish number one in the East because their schedule is, I believe it's Kyle, it's pretty favorable down the stretch after the all-star break. I, I don't know. I haven't looked that much into it, but yeah, listen, the, the Phoenix Suns have been the best team in the NBA. Right now, they have 10 losses on the season. They have 44 wins. They've been yeah. a team that I'll openly admit I was completely wrong when, when I was saying that. I think that they favored um, a lot of the – and I, I think they did in their playoff run. I think they, they favored a lot of the injuries that they were facing against these Western Conference teams, like when AD goes down in the first round and LeBron doesn't come back the same after spraining his ankle midway through the year, moving on to a Denver without Jamal Murray and then going against the Clippers without a Kawhi Leonard. So I think they favored a lot of those things, but at the same time, they've proven all wrong because they've, they've improved, they've been dominant, they've been the best team in the NBA. There's not a doubt about it. There's no team that's even close in terms of the win-loss column. So when I break this game down, uh, again, I think that Milwaukee is favored in the sense that, like you said, Tom, they got the best player. They got the best player. They got the most dominant player. And and last time they faced a guy in a high-stakes kind of game, he gave up 50 points to that guy. So, and not that I don't like DeAndre Ayton, but you could see kind of why Phoenix didn't want to give him $100 million in the offseason because even they're skeptical about giving him big-time money and him being the longtime center because they know if they do that, then they're really cap-strung and they can't do anything, and that's going to be the team they're going to roll with the next three-plus years because they know that once Chris Paul goes – they're going to be in search of that point guard once again, like they were for the first five, six years of Devin Booker's career to pair with him. So 
I, I'm not going to pick anybody in this game. I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. But I think that at the end of the day, the team usually with the best player is the one that wins. And let's leave it at that. Absolutely. We will see what happens tomorrow night, James. I know you're very neutral on this subject, but mm-hmm. I think Milwaukee is the best team in the East at the moment because now they're starting to get healthy. And they won't have Brooke Lopez this whole year. That's that's a big point of note, too, which is why when we're like, Nurkic might be on the move, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's move Bobby Portis back to that bench because he's. I think he's he, as productive as he is in the starting lineup, I think he'd even be more productive off the bench. That's the one shortcoming of Milwaukee's team. There's no bench depth that's center behind um, Portis. They're playing Greg Monroe, who's on a 10-day contract right now. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've had several 10-day contracts. They, they had Boogie on their team. They had Luke Cornett on their team. They had so many guys on 10-day deals, and they, they didn't retain any of them. So Greg Monroe is probably the next to come and go. But um, just want a quick shout-out. The Flagler College women's lacrosse team winning their first game in program history tonight. My little brother just sent that to me, so shout-out to Jack down in St. Augustine, Florida, enjoying life down there. You know, it's only about 20 degrees warmer in Florida, believe it or not. In in North Florida, that is. But, um, you know, we're we're up here in New York in the Northeast battling through this winter weather. I know last week around Super Bowl time we had that really bad snowstorm. Really couldn't do anything for the Super Bowl last year. But speaking of the Super Bowl, we're going to quickly plug our Super Bowl preview show Sunday at 9 a.m. You will see Kyle Russo. You will see myself, among others, on that show, breaking down the X's and O's of the game, making our live predictions. Although, I mean, you already heard it from us, right? There's no way anybody goes back on what we said now. So, um, I don't know. I got a feeling somebody might. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to regret be- it, too. <laughs> It'll be very interesting to see what happens. But, Kyle, I'm looking forward for that show. I know last year we put on a really great product on Super Bowl Sunday, so that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It, it really was. I think we all we all enjoyed ourselves. I know Paul, as a Chiefs fan, gave us that nice insight upon his team, what to expect in the game. Yeah. Um, won't have that this year, but we're still going to have a hell of a good time, and we're going to produce a great show as well. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. And folks, join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for the season finale of Big Blue Avenue. Hank and Dichter and I will be breaking down the Giants coaching staff updates. Uh, Seems like a lot of people, coaches, players are taking the seven-hour trip down from Buffalo to the Meadowlands, Uh, (laughs) whether it's coaches or former players or former draft picks of the Giants. So it'll be left to be seen what happens by tomorrow night. Also, Wink Martindale, our new DC. Really like that move. Mm-hmm. But, folks, thank you all very much for joining us here tonight on Review and Preview Sports. You can follow us on all of our platforms below Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Our first official Wednesday show as a team. Really happy on how this went and appreciate you both joining me as always. Always a pleasure, Tom. Always a pleasure. I was waiting for the pun from James, but it didn't come, so I'm kind of disappointed. Sorry. You had nothing good for us tonight. It's all right. Yeah, nothing good. Well, uh, you know what I'll do? I'll try to schedule a break, my coffee break, during the the Super Bowl show. Maybe I'll try to jump on, but I'll be definitely have it in my pocket or in my ear listening to you guys. Absolutely. I'm at work at like 5. James, you're working the Super Bowl, man? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, 
too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so is boy. Paul, and so is Dumb. Yeah, but they get a. Yeah, they but they'll have. They got TVs all around them, right? Yeah. They'll be able to I don't have them. a TV. I know. I, I got to hear a dance competition. <laughs> well, James, <laughs> we wish you the best. Hopefully, Thanks. it's not that good of a uh, game, James. That way, you don't miss anything. I can only hope. <laughs> I, the Super Bowl halftime show. I mean, that, that's what I really want. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Sorry to distract you, Tom. Close us out. Brian McArdle with the one one final comment here. <laughs> I feel like uh, Brian makes sure he's the last person to comment on every single one of our shows. It's kind of hysterical now that I think of it. But on behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm Tom Scubetta saying so long. You've been watching this Wednesday edition of Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. See you next week.